Steve and Kevin analyze six vintage scenarios on episode 85 of So Many Insane Plays. Welcome to episode 85 of So Many Insane Plays, where we will be analyzing several vintage scenarios, specific in-game situations, and how to evaluate and play them. I'm Kevin Crone with Stephen Menendian. Hi, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, you can tweet us at Many Insane Plays, email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com, or leave feedback on Eternal Central, MTGCast, or TheManadrain.com. We do have some announcements, and one of them is is pretty special, actually. Let me start with upcoming tournaments to to kind of get that past us. So, Steve, do you have any upcoming Udo events? Yes, actually, Udemonia's December Vintage will be, I think it's Sunday, December the 23rd, if that's the, if that's the 23rd. Yeah, it'll be a week and a half from now, I think. A couple days before Christmas, yeah, yep. That's right, two days before Christmas. The Christmas, the Eve, Christmas Eve Eve. Yep. Will you be playing? <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure yet. I've been, um, I played in, in God, a, a kind of a burst of vintage challenges in November and early December. And I have to make up with it, make up that time with some Christmas shopping and holiday stuff. So <laughs> I'm not sure whether I'll be able to swing it, but I'd love to. Playing a paper vintage is always a thrill. Well, I wish you luck in getting out to play. And if not that, then more challenges are still good. So before we get to our big announcement, do you have some upcoming article content or recent stuff? <laughs> well, like my uh, participation in the vintage challenges of late, I've have a flurry of of content, which is funny because I don't. I, in the last couple of years, I've published very few strategy articles. Um, I think it's probably mostly because I've been focused on the history of vintage series and the gush book. But in the last mo- couple months, I've published three free articles, and I've got a couple more in the hopper. Um, since our last podcast, I published an article. It introduced a novel measure of metagame diversity and metagame balance called the Genie Simpson Index. And I went through all the different metagames and described um, described that. Uh, and then more recently, I published a, a kind of a play-by-play in-game look at one of the more interesting games I played in the Vintage Challenge called uh, From 20 to 0 in 90 Seconds, <laughs> Anatomy of a Vintage Game. And it refers to the fact that I began this game with um, like two minutes and, and like 12 seconds on my clock and the game ended with something like 22 seconds left. So <laughs> we, we may get to that to some of that game at the end of this episode, depending on how much time we have. But I've got more in the in the hopper. Um, in addition to wrapping up the final uh, edits of the History of Vintage series, there's a lot of things I have to fix. For example, Kevin, the 2008 chapter described that the, the uh, Richmond 2008 Star City Games Power 9 tournament is the final one. Mm-hmm. So obviously things like that have to be corrected. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, and I've well, you know, the, the, the series resumed a decade later. And then I found a number of other things, both new deck lists, anecdotes, um, old DCI commentary, things just editing, just things that have to be cleaned up. But I've got a, I'm working on a 2019 primer or guide to vintage that I'm going to probably publish in early 2019. And then um, a couple of other things I'll share in our in our last podcast of the of the season, so to speak, our, our year in review. But there's two of them that are up right now. And we can post them in the show notes for people to check out. 
as we will. Your metagame diversity article is also going to be a bit of a preview, really, for our year-end review show, which we'll do right around the new year after the last challenge of this year is played, right? Our Moxie's award yep, show. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so look forward to our next show, which will be in just a couple of weeks where we, we will award the 20, 2018 Moxie. So let's get on then to the big announcement for today. And now it's not as big in content as it is in significance, I would say. And that is Randy Bueller has just tweeted earlier today, in fact, that he is working on setting up the next season of Vintage Super League which will be an individual season, and it will kick off in January. Now, we don't have any more individual notes on that, except that Randy will be posting additional details on their Patreon site, and we encourage our listeners who may not already to contribute to that Patreon and support the Vintage Super League. And we will obviously be keeping you up to date on its planning, its launch, and its execution as much as possible going forward. And it appears that we will have details very soon if he's planning to actually start in January. Vintage Super League Season 9. Yeah, it's awesome. How cool is it's that? Perennial now at this point. <laughs> is is that ca- – so So there's been – how many team Vintage Super Leagues now? Uh, it's two or three, isn't it? I really don't remember. <laughs> well, you played in the last yep. individual one, right? That was when you went on like the nine games. That's right. Street. I got second in the so, last, the, the the most recent individual one. So th- that must have been seven. So then that means that eight was the team season. Yeah, that's right. Un- unless there's been but two. I team think there seasons. were two team seasons. Wasn't there another one in between? Maybe <sighs> not. Maybe they've all been individuals. Hmm. Boy, it's funny. You would think that would be blaringly obvious to us, but uh, it's simply not. No, Kevin. Uh, actually, the Vintage Super League Season 7 wrapped up in uh, a year ago, in December, roughly. And that was in that was Season 7. So Season 8 was the only other season, I guess the only season this year. It was just a big, mm-hmm. long team season, which took up most of the first half of the yeah. year. So, okay. Um, yeah, there's only been one team season. So that was Season 8. This is going to be Season 9. Well, Pretty needless cool. to say, we're both very excited and we will share as much as we can on here and on Twitter and other social media as soon as we know it. But look forward to that. Me too. It's great to have the Vintage Super League back. I know. I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be a good way to start the new year. So let's get on to some scenarios. So scenarios are one of our most requested shows, mm-hmm. uh, but the community rarely helps us out with this <laughs> in terms of giving us some scenarios. So I've been, for the past couple of months, accumulating some interesting scenarios, Kevin, that I've been waiting to to use in the show just like mm-hmm. So these are scenarios that I've found, and I'm excited to present them. I've been looking forward to this recording. Um you know, we've done, I don't know, maybe four or five scenario shows in the past. They've all been very popular and they're all really interesting. But the best scenarios are the ones where you're never quite sure what the best play is. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Those are the most fun to discuss ultimately. And really good ones are, they're not like puzzles, right? Like the puzzling, there's always an optimal answer. But scenarios is where, in my opinion, the best ones depend upon number one, how you, your theory of the matchup. Mm-hmm your philosophy of what you think your opponent might be playing, your also philosophy of play, how you value individual strategies or lines of play or tactics, 
And third, um, what, how you think what is the, just the most probabilistic best line. Mm-hmm. And that involves a lot of judgment. It involves information that you don't have about your opponent's hand, their board, what you might draw. But that's what makes these so interesting. So I'm going to lead off with the scenario that I saw at Eternal Weekend and I think has been the is, is probably a source of endless debate mm-hmm. because it's not one of those scenarios where there's a choice A or choice B. <laughs> in here, there's like five choices and each of them is highly compelling. Yeah. So let's let's get it started. Kevin, why don't you set it up? Okay. So in this scenario, you are playing a Mishra's Workshop-based aggro deck, a relatively straightforward, such as you would find, for example, in this year's and last year's Vintage Champs Top 8 Ravager Ballista list. You are on the draw. Your opening hand of seven, we'll get to the eighth card in a minute, your opening hand of seven is Ancient Tomb, Mox Ruby, Tolarian Academy, Sphere of Resistance, Phyrexian Revoker, Steel Overseer, Arcbound Ravager. That's three mana sources, a resistor, and three creatures. You're on the draw, and your opponent on their first turn plays Black Lotus, Tropical Island, and says go. That's Black Lotus, Tropical Island, go. You draw, your eighth card in hand is now Wasteland. What do you do on your first turn? (laughs) So Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. This came up in preparation for Matt Sperling against his first round of the top eight opponent would be Steve uh, Rick Shea. And and you were observing this from the workshop side where, where someone was playing in Rich's stead basically for their testing. That's right. This came up during the testing and the, the person made a play and it was literally the worst play, the worst, option of all the possible plays in my view <laughs> and, and so i i stopped them from playing and i said let's think about this for a second <laughs> i think matt was a little annoyed by that because he just wanted to get a bunch of games in but i really wanted to give i wanted his test partner to give matt the best possible line yeah. right so i just said okay well let me just snap this write this down and we'll debate this at dinner, yeah. <laughs> which is what we did <laughs> um so it's funny you know you could ask a bunch of people and you'll get you know, five different answers. I think there's different ways of approaching it. One is, let's just talk about the different factors, and then we'll we'll try and synthesize or analyze them simultaneously. Mm -hmm. First, assumptions about what your opponent's playing. Now, assume for the sake of argument, we don't know what your opponent's playing. And then we'll make the second setup where we know. But just to begin this hypothetical, let's assume we don't. Number two, so it's a question as to what the opponent might be playing, and therefore what tactics they might have. The second key variable is is I think the individual utility of these cards. <laughs> Steel Overseer has a, a unique property. Much It's similar to Dark Confidant in the sense that the earlier you play it, the better the card is. Mm-hmm. Now, that you might say, well, isn't that true of every card in Magic? No, it's not. And the answer is not, <laughs> not to the same degree. Yeah. It's, true that, <laughs> it's true that if you play Ancestral Recall on turn one, it's often better than on turn three, but that's because you use the resources drawn with Ancestral to build to do, to do more things by turn mm-hmm. three. But there is a, a difference, a qualitative difference between that and like Dark Confidant, which when you play it on turn three, if the average game is five turns or six turns, the amount of card advantage it can generate is, is greatly diminished. There's a similar property with Steel Overseer, which is that its power is directly correlated to the, the, the speed or the earlier point at which you can play mm-hmm. it. So... Um, there's a real strong incentive to play Steel Overseer as quickly as possible. 
I don't think that's quite as true as Arcbound Ravager. But the same thing is true of Sphere of Resistance. That Sphere of Resistance gets more powerful the earlier you play it because your opponent will have been taxed more over the course of the game. Mm-hmm. So, so those are just generic properties that are a contextual that we can begin to filter down the scenario. Um, so, Kevin, let's begin by making different matchup assumptions, and then what do those matchups mean for what tactics they might have, and then we'll talk about how that applies to our options. Yeah. So Tropical Island is the key piece of information here, right? We can right. immediately deduce some very likely uh, archetypes that our opponents will be playing if they have Tropical Island even in their deck. The, the quick list there is Oath and Bug with a little bit of possibility for uh, Rug-type lists like Rug Pyromancer, such as Spurling's list. Is there another deck in Vintage that you would even really consider in your, in your, in your there's, logic? There's Survival. There's Survival. But the fact that the opponent just goes Lotus uh, Trop suggests it's probably not survival. <laughs> because, That's not a keepable hand for that deck. Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine what what's in their hand <laughs> that they they didn't play anything with Lotus and Trop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm with you. So you're right. Survival is technically on the list, but the sequence here pretty much rules it out. Especially if we're talking about testing for top eight of an event. So so we're pretty much down to three possible decks. I would say Oath bug and rug each one of them presents a different problem of course as pertains to what they could be holding that would that we would have to respect but i do think yeah. that each one of them also rules out a certain sequence or or population in their hand be- because of the unused lotus for example if your opponent's on oath they would have cast oath with that lotus on one right Similarly, or a planeswalker, or a planeswalker. Right, I, if, we can pretty much rule out that they have Dak or or Big Jace, for example, within reason. Well, we can we can rule that out for any deck that they have Dak because they would have played Dak immediately. I think, I think I that's think. true. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, so that goes for Rug as well. Also, in the case of Rug, we can probably rule out Young Pyromancer because I would expect that they would go Lotus Pyromancer and then hold up uh, the the likely Force of Will or other interactive card that they have. And in the case of Bug, it's a little trickier. You know that they don't have Deathrite Shaman, for example, because they would have clearly played it. And you probably know, depending on the nature of their list, that they don't have something like Dark Confidant, because that probably would have come down off of Lotus as well. So I think what you can deduce about what they didn't play off of a Lotus suggests to you what is in their hand. It's clearly not cantrips, since those are all cantrip decks, within reason. Bug, you know, has variants. They probably don't have Preordain. They might be holding Ancestral Recall, for example. And they might have held it just in case. Um, they probably also don't have a two to four mana bomb like Oath, Dak, Jace, etc. What what do they likely have? Well, oh, sorry. One more thing they're probably not holding is a fetch land or a basic land, right? You yes. you simply yes. don't lead yes. on a, a wasteable land in shops if you can avoid it. Right. What they probably do have is interactive instance like Force of Will and probably removal, Lightning Bolt, Assassin's Trophy in the case of Bug, Nature's Claim perhaps. That kind of thing. Or abrupt decay, decay, sure. So you can probably deduce that their hand is controlling, potentially reactionary, with the possible exception of Ancestral. But even Ancestral plus Lotus, I think you fire off that Ancestral looking for a two-casting cost bomb. Well, it depends on the deck. In in Oath, you definitely do, right? Maybe. It depends. I think the key variable, which you've... I think you've hit on the key point, which is that they're likely... They they have a very reactive hand. (laughs) We know that. But if you're Oath or Rug, there's a really good chance 
especially if this is post-board, which we haven't specified, yeah. that they have an ancient grudge. Sure. That's what this hand telegraphs to me as ancient grudge. I think that's totally reasonable. Which means that if you have Ancestral, you're probably not playing because you're holding up grudge. Uh, yeah, to also totally reasonable. That's a very good point. If the hand has Ancestral and grudge, you definitely sequence this way. But what's most so what you well, what we're concluding here is the reactionary nature of it. It's very likely they have removal, and there's also probably a high likelihood of force of will here. Right, yeah. decent, decent chance yeah. of force. I mean, the fact that they're on the play, having played two cards, reduces the likelihood that they have force in a blue card. But still, certainly reactionary. Yeah, yeah. and also we know that their mana beyond Lotus is relatively fragile, right? They would yeah. not have led on this tropical island if they could have avoided it with a fetch land or a basic. Uh, the, right. the alternative is potentially that they have two more lands in hand, and we're just kind of okay rolling the dice on this land getting wasted. That is a possibility, I suppose, for some players, but I don't think that's a good play. So then we have to weigh the the, the potential options here, and there are many, but we have to weigh our business cards against the potential reactionary nature of our opponent's hand. If, for example, they're right. holding Ancient Grudge, which of these cards do we want to put onto the stack most? Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's go through yeah. that. I mean, so so there's two possibilities. One is that they, um, you know, they have Ancient Grudge, or it's just generically reactionary. Ancient Grudge may just be the worst case scenario, mm-hmm. um, but not unbeatable with so this hand. Not unbeatable. If you were to go, there's there's also an interesting variable as to whether we play the ruby or not. So yeah. if you go Ancient Tomb. Uh, there's there's basically the five options. You can go Sphere of Resistance, Revoker, Overseer, Ravager, Wasteland, on Terminal. Yeah. Those are the main options. And then there's sub-questions about how you cast the two mana spells. Yeah. Right, exactly. So let's let's just start with the merits of each. Mm-hmm. The reason to play Revoker first is because you will name Lotus. You force the issue on the Lotus at the very least. You fo- force the... If they have um, Ancient Grudge, they're probably going to have to sacrifice the Lotus in response to the revoker mm-hmm. unless they have a red ma- uh, another dual land in hand yep. or a red mana in hand um if they if they don't sacrifice the lotus you can revoke lotus if they do then you have to decide what to revoke after that mm-hmm. um, which becomes tricky because so, the your your go-to target dak faden is you would you would argue less likely to be in their hand at the moment <laughs> yes given the it's sequence very unlikely they have yeah. it right um so Revoker takes out three, the merits of it is take three quarters of their mana out of play immediately. Um, the, the, the reason to play Sphere of Resistance is because no matter what they're going to do reactively, the Sphere of Resistance is going to impede it, especially if they try and play two spells. Right. So if you go Ancient Tomb, let's just say you play Sphere, regardless of whether you play the Ruby or not, they cannot play, they can't play Grudge and something else unless, unless that something else costs exactly one. <laughs> That's the trick. So they can't play, for example, next turn, they can't go preordain and, and Dak. Yes, exactly. So you're cutting that if you make the sphere play, you're ostensibly cutting them off from multiple spells next turn. But if our theory right. is Which correct is what, that yeah. they have a removal spell, then you're effectively just trading one for well, one with or one for two well, with the, Lotus and that removal spell. You know, you're 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 trading one for two in every case, because if they have force, they're gonna lose two cards. If they and they can't use just the land, they have to use the Lotus. So no matter what they do, the Sphere trades two for one. Yeah, that's true. That's very and Any card that forces the issue on Lotus, it trades one for two, is a two for right. one, yeah. The only the only way it's not two for one... Well, is, in the case of Ancient Grudge, it's like two just, for two, but still. Well, the only way it's not two for one is, yeah, besides Grudge, is if 
they just let the sphere resolve, play a mox, <laughs> not a mox, another land, and then nature's claim the sphere, which is, I think, the least likely possibility here. <laughs> I, I would say just because pl- nature's claim doesn't see that much play, unless this was a post sideboard game that you knew the matchup yeah. in, then that changes that math a bit. Yeah, then the nature's claim is just as likely as the grudge, maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> um, but still, think about that scenario. That means that they're passing the turn back with two lands tapped, Lotus in play, to Nature's Claim Your Sphere, they're not going to be able to play a bunch of other stuff they might have been able to play otherwise. Yeah. So the Sphere is extremely disruptive. Okay, so we've talked about Revoker, we've talked about Sphere, the merits of each. Steel Overseer, we've, we already said the principle is that the earlier you play it, the better it mm-hmm. gets. So there's the reason for that. Ravager, I think, is the least compelling card to play on turn one. There's no real reason to play it on turn one. Wasteland, though, the merit of that is that you might just be completely mana screwing them <laughs> if they don't have more land. Yeah. They don't have a fetch and they don't have um, basics. So unless they were just really holding up grudge, wanting to grudge twice on turn one, which seems really unlikely, um, they, we can deduce they don't have fetcher basics in hand, which means that they have only duels, uh, colorless lands like Wasteland, Stripline, and Library, mm-hmm. or they could draw one of those on top of the deck. Yeah. So I would assume they probably have colorless lands or more dual lands. So the wasteland becomes really compelling on the if you take the spread of pop probabilities that the chance they just don't have another good land drop, yeah. right? <laughs> and it, you could even draw another wasteland, you know, next turn, which would really put them in a hole. I would put the even. I would put the best odds that the other land in their hand is volcanic island. Uh, you know, all things being equal, and I know that completely excludes bug, but. Yeah. Given that Oath and Rug make up greater percentage of likelihood in the metagame, I would say that's probably the most likely other land that they're holding. And it would make sense if they had Ancient Grudge to lead with the Trop, theoretically. If they're trying to get lucky on turn one, basically, with a two-for-one, yeah. right? As you said. Yeah. But it's also the worst long-term play for them, because if you just waste them off of green right here, their Ancient, beco- the ancient Grudge becomes Shatter until they can find the other one. And th- right. the game could be over before they do. So if they have Grudge, Wastelanding the Trop might be the best play, you're saying? Uh, yes. because I think that it is. Yeah. I, I think that there's a, a good chance that that will be the most effective play in the face of exactly Ancient Grudge. And also, <laughs> it also happens to be a great play in the face of Nature's came, Claim. Nature's right? Claim. Wow. Because if they have um, if they have Nature's Claim and a, and a Valk is their other land, then, then Lotus is the only way they can cast a Claim, and that's a good deal for you in the end, right? If they spend the lotus on just nature's claim, so uh, my, my my instincts tell me that the the most potentially punishing play is probably the wasteland play. I think it has maybe the highest upside because it doesn't interact with the force of will that we really feel like they're having, and it also doesn't interact with the removal that we really think they have, and it just opens them up for a more long term punishment due to a weaker draw, potentially. On the flip side, it is just sort of delaying the inevitable, right? It gives them another look at the lands on the top of their deck. They could find the land that they don't have and, and wanted, and you're back to the same scenario with fewer options. So you, you never want to play a tempo-neutral wasteland in shops if you can help it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's tricky. I think wasteland matches up the best against the cards we, we think that they're holding, but I also think it's a little bit of an inert play and it's a bit of a roll of the dice because they could draw the thing that they're hoping for and you're not putting any pressure on them. I really, in my opinion, I feel like it's a three 
uh, it's a three decision tree. It's sphere, revoker, or wasteland. And I'm I'm interested in exploring which of the sphere versus revoker is best. If they have you know grudge and claim, for example. Well, let me just say I think I think the player I was watching play this who is very a very skilled workshop player mm-hmm. updated the 2017 vintage championships i think his preferred play on turn one was steel overseer that seems very speculative to me it seems like well, he is investing a lot in the long game and yes also yes there's one kind of benefit to well, it is that it's it's the worst thing for them to remove to, exactly <laughs> it's the worst it's, target it's for not an ancient really worth Exactly. It's not really worth them blowing the Lotus to grudge right there, which means that it actually gives you not an immediate advantage, but an over the course of the game kind of indirect advantage. So I think there's real merit to that play as well for that reason. You know, you're going to you're going to be able to. And also, by the way, if they don't kill it. So let's say you go ancient tomb steel overseer, Mm -hmm. right? Next turn, you can play Ruby Academy and play Revoker and Ravager. Yes. Yeah. And they both get immediately bigger, assuming barring removal. Yes, yeah. exactly. I do think there is one unique case for Ravager also, and that is if your opponent finds Dak Fate on turn two. Yeah, that's I, that is the good, that's the case for Ravager, but, yeah. but since they don't have it in their opening hand, I think we can assume that we can wait until turn two to play Ravager. Well, I, I'm simply pointing out that, so... It gives you resilience, it gives you resilience there, but also their deck is designed, if it's a DAC deck, it's designed to find DAC, right? So maybe they're not holding a DAC, but if they have the Ancestral in their hand, which we know or is, is, is one of the turn. things, or if they pull Preordain off the top, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we can pretty much rule out that this Tropical Island is their only land. So, you know, so no one would keep do, this hand with just Trop Lotus and no Preordain and no DAC, right? It's unkeepable. Well, if they... Well, if they don't have another mana source, but they draw a preordain, then they have to sac- either tap the trop or use the lotus for blue. So if you tap the trop for blue, I'm assuming they have play a Volk preordain. Still, then, you, yeah. then you have to find a you have to have a Volk in order to play. Well, Dak. that's my point, though. Is I but, I can't imagine yeah. a person keeping this and playing this sequence with no other mana source. It seems inconceivable right. to me. No, I agree. I I think that's probably right. So let's just say I'm. Let's just stipulate that I agree that rabbit. Ravager is not the best play, so let's eliminate. I that. agree. I don't think it's the best play. Um, Overseer seems weak to me, but since one of the most skilled shot players <laughs> did it, it seems like it's compelling. To me, it comes down to Sphere, Revoker, or Wasteland. I think you've made a really, really compelling case for Wasteland. I think the fact that basically they go Volk next turn, you've turned, you've done multiple things simultaneously. Mm-hmm. You've turned off Nature's Claim. You turned off the back end of Ancient Grudge. Mm-hmm. And you've rewound the game, which probably favors you if you get exactly back to this board state. If you draw a Mox, then you can play two things next turn. If you draw another Wasteland, then you can Wasteland and get them again. There's a lot of draws that where you actually would prefer to just rewind the game. That's true. If right? you pull another Mana Source and or a Workshop, uh, sorry, another Artifact or, or a Workshop, then you've rewound the game, and but it advantaged yourself significantly. Or another Wasteland. Or another Wasteland, sure, oh, oh. yeah. 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 So actually, you have so, you have a ton of live draws that actually improve the situation if you just just forward the game to that state. Yeah. Agreed. Right. <laughs> so wasteland seems really compelling, but let me try and make the case for sphere of resistance okay. again. <laughs> I really like sphere. I think this is actually what I, what I would have done. I would have gone ancient tomb 
mocks Ruby Sphere. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because, number one, if you go Ancient Tomb Mock Sphere, I think the Mox is pretty safe. The, now, maybe they're sandbagging Dak because they want to steal something. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly legitimate threat. That was legitimate fear. But that's really hard to imagine. I mean, if they could have played Dak, they could have plussed it. They could have played a, a preordain yeah. off the mana. So I don't think they're sandbagging Dak. Agreed. Um, the reason I like Sphere is because if they have Force, they use their Force in their blue card. If they don't have Force, then I think they're in a lot of trouble. If Sphere of Resistance resolve, it's really problematic for them because they have to use the Lotus mm-hmm. at that point. They have to use the Lotus to shatter the Sphere. They can't just play a land next turn. And, you know, even if they, they then they can't play Ancient Grudge off the two lands, the most they can do is Nature's Claim, which means all they have up is the Lotus. So then all the sequences that flow after that, I think, become more powerful. I think that if they force your ahead, if they don't force, you're even further ahead because the sphere with the sphere in play, you're beginning the turn with tomb and ruby, which means that if let's just let's just go through all the different options. Mm-hmm. Let's assume they don't have force. You play the sphere, you've got tomb and ruby, they play another dual land. Mm-hmm. You untap, you can wasteland one of the dual lands, right? Mm-hmm. And you can play revoker on Lotus. Mm-hmm. So I think the sphere. I think the le- if you widen the lens to turn two, I think Sphere becomes the more powerful play. Possibly. The only <laughs> one that's I, in my mind is competing with it right now is Wasteland. But I think that what happens is that we tend to look at things not in terms of a sequence or a line, but rather we're looking at things, what's the most powerful in the moment? Mm-hmm. And I think that um, if we're looking at things in terms of a sequence, Sphere becomes m- much more compelling. The Sphere protects the Ruby because they're not going to be able to destroy your Ruby. And it makes screws up their turn two immensely, and it powers up your wasteland and gives you all the mana you need for turn two. So the wasteland can then pick off the, the dual land that's the best. If they have a second trop, you pick that up. If they have a, um, a, a colorless mana and they waste your tomb, you're still okay because you've got academy. In which case, let's say they have wasteland and strip mine, then you wasteland their dual land, mm-hmm. then they're in big trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you've got Ruby, Sphere, and the next turn you'll just play academy. And you'll be able to cast Revoker on Lotus, and they'll have no mana <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, at all. While I agree that that's a possibility, I, I really don't think the game would ever get to that point. And I do think we have to assume that they have two ways to interact with us still at this point, right? Yeah. But still, your, your point is well made. The, the Sphere has a very constraining effect on them, even though they have Black Lotus. And the interaction with your Wasteland and then Revoker next turn is is, is fairly compelling. The it also means that if they draw something that they want to play on their next turn, they unless can't. it's preordained, right? Which well, preordained is even which, harder because then they have to tap. What they, they would have, have to, to tap two lands. Plan. Yeah. Yes, um, and they th- can't use the their lotus. Is, that's to, the best yeah. case for us, though. That's my point: is that if they have second land and they go and they pull a preordain off the top, that's still great for us because it means at worst we're going to get shattered once, right? With a yes. with the first half of an ancient grudge, and we still have access to the. Wasteland. to the wasteland play to cut them off of the back end of the ancient grudge so right i think that it's a pretty it's a fairly safe play honestly it given the, the sphere because it also means that if they want to go in on on doing something more bombastic next turn they they have to respect the sphere they they have they just can't cast you know preordained act as you as we've said but they also can't do something simple like both sides of ancient grudge on our turn 
given that we have wasteland, right? Assuming we sequence properly. Um, I, I really do think that the sphere play has almost all of the benefits of just the wasteland play in, in hindsight. And it also has one additional benefit, which is the wasteland after the sphere is that much more specific and narrowly targeted because we know that if they, if they have to, if they want to play through that sphere, they're going to need more lands. And as soon as they play a second land, we gain a ton of information about how good our wasteland is because if their second land land is library of Alexandria, right? Right. As you've theorized it could be, or if it's their wasteland, for example, we just get a ton of information there. It's really valuable. And so even though I think there's a lot to be, there's a lot of upside to the wasteland play. I think right. the sphere play is both, it has similar constrictions on them, but it also furthers our default game plan more, more proactively. And it puts them if, into more difficult decisions. Boy, there's so many things to draw out here that are interesting. Yeah. Um, let me ask a question. If they, if you knew that the first spell you're going to play mm-hmm. would resolve mm-hmm. for the first, if this spell is going to resolve, yeah. which would you like to play? If you knew it was going to resolve. Oh, Revoker. Doesn't, doesn't mean it's not going to be, okay, you would play Revoker if <laughs> well, you knew it wouldn't be forced. Well, because Revoker means if it's going to resolve, that means they either broke their Lotus in response to destroy my Revoker, which I'm okay trading that one for two, right? Or right. they actually didn't have a way to answer Revoker and they were just kind of, you know, bluffing. <laughs> yeah. All the possible outcomes are good, I think, if Revoker resolves. Even if it's immediately destroyed, I'm okay with that. Um, the, the, because, so, I, because I have Wasteland yeah. still to to prevent the second half of an Ancient Grudge, right? In theory, if they well, don't that, have access to that's another sort of, I mean, that's the weird thing about the revoker in this situation, is that Lotus is not a is not a permanent permanent. <laughs> yeah, of course. So it's a it's like you have to decide. So if you play the revoker and you know it's going to resolve, mm-hmm. well, if they had force, let's say they have force of will, a blue card, and ancient grudge in hand. Mm-hmm. Which I think is likely. Would you force the revoker if you were the blue player? Um, if they just went ancient tomb revoker, no, I wouldn't. Neither would I. Yeah. Because because the, well, my it, question, though, is are you breaking it, Lotus would, for Red in response? Exactly. That's the next question. Yeah. So if you're not going to force <laughs> it, the answer to that is yes, yeah, right? You th- are breaking Well, it, it's complicated, though, if my if the other card in my hand is, is actually um, Volcanic Island, Volk. right? Then you wouldn't. Then you don't do Lotus. either. You just let it resolve, and you play your second so, land and go about your life. So play that out, right? So that works kind of functionally. It's... Similar to the waste, it's similar to the the sphere plan. Honestly, all the right. all if you know if ancient grudge but, is there, all the results are very similar. But the the difference between the revoker plan and the sphere plan is the sphere plan impinges them from more top decks. Oh yeah, absolutely agreed. And so that's the main difference, in my opinion, from the wasteland plan is that the wasteland plan on turn one. It's all good if they just rewind exactly back to turn one. Mm-hmm. It's a disaster. If they draw <laughs> yep. Dak, Ancestral, Merchant Scroll, Preordain, you know, any of these things, yeah. <laughs> you'd rather have the sphere there. I think I think this they have to force sphere if they have it. And if they don't, then you're in a situation where they've lost two cards and next turn you can wasteland and revoker. I don't think I just think Well, I don't think they have to force sphere because they've got Lotus into Grudge, theoretically, right? You don't have to force sphere. You could it you could let it resolve. all these good draws. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. But if 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 your hand is purely reactionary, if your hand is like sure. force blue sure, card, sure. Uh, maybe it's force. Um, what's a bad blue card that you wouldn't have cast at this point? You know, treasure cruise or something. If it's force cruise grudge and Valk, or, 
we're still missing or one card. Or something. Yeah, Snapcaster. Maybe yeah. somewhat something else that's uncastable or unusable. Then, um, then no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, force a sphere of resistance there. Not at all. Because okay. I, because I could, I'm destroying well, you, it on tap at any moment. If you effectively, don't. If you don't, then you untap. You play your volcanic island. You pass back. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then I then you untap. You play wasteland. You wasteland the trop. The the trop. Yeah. At this point, you fl- the blue player floats a mana. Yep. You move to your your second main phase. Mm-hmm. They're going to what? They're going to ancient grudge the mox and the sphere at that uh, point. No, I wouldn't ancient grudge the a mox at that point. I don't think. Well, you have you have you have to sacrifice the lotus with the sphere in play to kill the to shatter the. You, you, thing. You're still you not compelled to, to at that point. You just let the trop go. You just count okay. on the fact that you're going to have access to green mana again later in the game. It's not worth. It's, it. it's not worth killing a ruby right. You know a mox ruby right there. When shatter is such a valuable effect, no, no, I just let my land get wasted. They go to combat, and whatever they play next, I'm gonna consider whether or not I force it or I so shatter it. it. So yes, yeah, so then you go to your second main and you tap the ruby and the mox, mm-hmm. and you play revoker. Yeah, I think so. Now you've got vault. Your opponent has Volk and lotus and lotus, and you've got sphere still in play. Yep. Now what happens? Well, at that point, I'm not sure. At that point, it becomes a little bit even more specific on what they've drawn because, you know, they've had another draw step since then, right? Yeah. And so they're going to have to react at that point. I, We, we know this, right? They're going to either yeah. break the lotus and shatter one of the things or they're going to force that that revoker. One of those two things has to happen. Right. And it will depend both. on then on the construction of their hand, which has continued to evolve. And they'll also, they're going to have a deeper understanding of your hand now, because now they know so, a lot of your hand. So the worst case scenario, you'll, you'll have another card in your hand, by the well, way. But the worst yeah. case scenario, I guess worst case, if they let the sphere resolve, is they tap the Volk to pay one to force. Yeah. And then they sack the Lotus and shatter the sphere. Now your board is just Ancient Tomb Mox Ruby. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you pass, they untap. And they, have, they start their turn with just Volcanic Island in play. Volcanic Island in play, and their hand is pretty small because they spent Force a Blue yeah. Card Grudge, which is in the yard. I think they have, they have. I think they have an access to a three or four card hand. I wasn't counting well, but at this point, but at least three cards still. Okay, three cards. They play another mana. They're up to two. Yeah, and they have Grudge in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. Then you get to your third turn, and you have two more cards we haven't seen: mm-hmm. Ravager and Overseer. Yeah, which is still great That's, because because now you're good. still on now you you're yeah. on a double threat turn, right? But if we're playing right, because you have Tomb Academy, mm-hmm. if we're playing to that point, mm-hmm. that kind of makes the Steel Overseer seem stronger. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, at the beginning of the game, it, yes and no. But right, if you played the Steel Overseer on one, you didn't disrupt them at all, though, right? They yeah. they could play their second land and play Time Walk on two. If that was the card True. they had, they could play the top deck um, preordain maybe and still disrupt you twice with force of will and grudge. It's it's uh, it's just so undisruptive. It's that it's also in- true, but it's also interesting that at this point with that mana, you can play anything in your deck mm-hmm. the rest of the game. Yep. You also the steel they have to they really incentivize to hit the steel overseer, but the ravager will shield you from Dak. So. I kind of like that position. You're, well, you got if they drew a fetch land, four. you're still in. You're still cold to de- to deck fading at that point. That's a problem. If, yeah. if their second land they played as a fetch or anything that produces green, then you're in, you're in a rough shape. They they can't cast deck. No, not this turn, but next turn they can. If they have yet another mana, they would have needed. <laughs> they would need to have drawn some lands. You're four. right, but they we, can, need we can't four rule that out. Land. Yeah, 
but who i mean if it wasn't land then it was preordains right i mean that's the way the deck is yeah. that's the way these kind of decks are constructed so we're, we're talking a lot wow. about a rug now <laughs> we're talking a very central yeah. i think rug central focus here because this situation we know was testing against rug if it's oath though if you don't know that your opponent is on rug literally if it's oath i think the overseer plan goes right out the door obviously and yeah. and the revoker plan's not great right well the revoker still prevents them from hard casting inferno type <laughs> yes yeah that's right it does but i don't think that's your thing you have to respect on turn one right yes no. they have four mana going to five but I, I think the sphere plan is kind of the only one that that really needs to needs apply against oath right yeah that's probably right because that also prevents them from casting inferno titan within reason rather than getting clarity i feel like i'm just spinning in circles here the, well, tra- this is one of those because this is one of those scenarios as you established early on where there's no correct answer Right. Right. But I think what's frustrating about it is that as you see how this plays out based upon the most likely hand cards in hand, mm-hmm. it doesn't illuminate. It, it brings you back to these other possible. You know, we have to actually play this out to these, you know, to the third turn <laughs> yeah. to really see kind of what might actually be the best first turn play. Well, you know, if and that's the thing, this is obviously part of the skill of playing workshops in an environment that features cards like Ancient Grudge, right? When you know yeah. you're going to get two for one or Shattering Spree or, or by force, right? You know you're going to get two for one post sideboard a, a lot. Then you have to understand how your cards work when they've destroyed the first two, right? And you also have to balance just on mass. You have to balance as a workshop player the short term benefits of disrupting your opponent versus the longer term benefits of fielding a force that is aggressive and can finish the game, right? Right. That's the tension between Sphere of Resistance and Steel Overseer right there. And I don't believe there is an absolutely correct answer. I personally value disrupting my opponent a lot because I've played these matchups a lot. And when I play something like Jeskai or Grixis against Shops and they go Ancient Tomb Steel Overseer, I'm ecstatic. (laughs) Right? Right. That is the best possible outcome for their first term in my eyes. I think we're, we're, we're... heading home here i think we've got a conclusion i think you're leaning towards sphere i am but but before we do that let me just play it out real quick of these other options so we go turn one ancient tomb steel overseer they you play volcanic island or colorless mana Mm -hmm. then on turn two let's just say that you had volk turn two we play wasteland we hit the trop Mm -hmm. then we play revoker i think this point at this point they're still they're, faced with the Force versus uh, uh, Ancient Grudge play on the Revoker. And, right. I, and I'm personally leaning toward Force of Will at that point. But. Okay, so they'll they'll either force the Revoker. If they don't have Force, they'll probably have to Ancient Grudge. Mm-hmm. Or sack the Lotus, rather. Correct. Um, and they'll probably kill the Steel Overseer, not the Revoker. Yes, at that point you would do that because... Um, then, in then fact, you respond... At that point you, you would pumping. do it in response to the Revoker spell, right? Yeah, so it couldn't yeah, get the counter. So, so then you pump the the revoker. The steel overseer goes down. No, no you respond then, to the revoker spell so that it's oh, not sorry, in play. Yeah. So that you don't yeah, yeah. get that play. Yeah. Right. You destroy the steel overseer. Then you hopefully have the blue player. Hopefully has another land. They may or may not. Oh, so sorry, but that sequence is the reason why I'm leaning toward force of will on revoker, right? Because if you respond to the revoker by breaking your lotus and then don't destroy the revoker, they get to name Dakfaden. Yes. So that's I why said, I'm leaning toward force of will. I think I said, let's assume they don't force it. Let's okay. assume they don't have force at the moment. Yeah. So then by turn three, what happens is that the workshop player has a revoker that named Dak. Mm-hmm. 
and nothing else in play at the beginning of turn three. They'll have Ancient Tomb, Ruby, and Academy, and they can play both the Sphere and Ravager on turn three or anything else they've drawn plus the Sphere. Mm-hmm. That seems like a pretty good place to be. Your and your opponent has likely used the Lotus, has lost the Trop. There, that might be a that might be a better endpoint by the end of turn three. Actually, it, it is. But we we're skipping one vital thing. That's that we haven't disrupted our opponent at all. We accounted on right. the opponent not playing any spells on turn two, <laughs> right? With their two lands, right? right? Which is not a reasonable assumption in my eyes. It is unreasonable to me to, to think that they did yeah. absolutely nothing with two slash five mana on turn two. Well, I don't know if that's unreasonable. I mean, what's the difference between four and five, right? And unless we're saying they could have done something but just held it all up for the for Ancient Grudge and, and or Nature's Claim, then it's not unreasonable thing to think they could just go land go. It's I don't think that's unreasonable, actually. Unreasonable? No. Likely? No. In my opinion, it is unlikely that I they do nothing. I think it's probably about even odd. Okay. Well, that's we, we can't be any more specific than that, I would say. But yeah. let's consider, though, what the other blue card and the other card in their hand is that they're not casting and pitching the Force of Will, right? Well, it could be Snapcaster Mage. Okay. It could be, they could have a Bolt. It that's could terrible be, for um, us. Yeah. <laughs> if they have two removal spells, it's an Ancient Grudge and a Bolt. That's awful. If they have, if they have Bolt and Snap, See, that's, if they have Bolt and Snap, can, that's a disaster. But but if they have Bolt and Snap, they probably don't have Grudge at the beginning of that. Uh, which uh, means Bolt that Snap is sphere, worse for us than Grudge is. Not if you if you if you start with Steel Overseer, yes. If you start with Sphere, no. Well, if you start with Sphere, <laughs> yeah. they, maybe they just force it if they've got the Bolt Snap hand, right? So if they have no other blue card, right? If Snap's their only blue card, then yeah, that's okay. But we're still facing yeah. down Bolt plus Ancient Grudge at that point, which is still awful, right? Because in the yeah. theoretical other land they have is Volcanic Island that they don't even need to answer a Revoker if they're holding the Bolt. They, I your bolt, a, your a, Revoker a just resolves com- and they bolt it and they go about their business. I need a supercomputer to model this out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really Seriously. don't. It, it, yes, it, that is technically well, true because the possibilities are in, the, in the millions. But Yeah, they could figure out all the possibilities <laughs> and figure out the probabilities and then figure out based upon how all those lines turn out, which is the best possible Yes, option. you could. But the, the trick is, is that all the possibilities are going to be very close in likelihood. Yeah. There's not going to be one glaringly obvious one because we're talking about decks filled with threes and fours of in a lot of these cards. Or we're talking about decks with restricted cards, right? Any number of restricted cards screws up this analysis. You know, Time Walk on two, for example, Ancestral, which we talked about a number of times in the beginning, but didn't really play out. So that's that's what I'm getting at, though, is that, yes, the Steel Overseer plan works if your opponent only is going to cast Ancient Grudge and Force of Will in the next three turns. Yes, that's better, but they're not. I mean, I guarantee you, your opponent's not only going to cast Steel Overseer, or sorry, Ancient Grudge and Force of Will. If we, undis- if we leave them undisrupted on their second turn, they're going to time walk <laughs> and then play Dak yeah. on us or something, right? It's going to be awful. Well, on turn two, we're going to play Wasteland and something. We'll play Wasteland by turn two regardless and some one of these other, Probably. either the Sphere or the Revoker. Probably. But, um, given so, that, but given that Steel Overseer doesn't disrupt our opponent at all, I'm really, really uh, against playing it on the, the first turn just because you're giving them a second turn with five mana. Yeah, and we also don't know what we're... I, I think there is a decent chance they don't play anything on turn two, but I agree with you that it's unlikely they don't play anything by turn three unless <laughs> unless the Wasteland completely cut off their mana. Which, that's the only way That's the only way I don't think they play any yeah, spells by turn um, three. If they had the theoretical like Tropical Island Library or Tropical Island Wasteland Strip Mine draw, then I think you're onto yeah. something there. But I also think the odds of that are low. I mean, yes, it's possible, but it's low odds. I agree. Yeah. So what this says to me is, I think in the final analysis, 
your best odds are leading with sphere. I think so. And you also just have to conclude that given that we expect and anticipate their hand is reactionary, whatever you do early is not going to be a game ending play, right? Right. <laughs> you not, this isn't good. This is not likely to win the game. Right. The sphere is going to be removed. The question is how much how much tempo can it generate for you yeah. in the short term? Yeah. And also, workshops are the sort of deck that are highly homogenized by today's standards. You have to count on your deck continuing to give you disruptive threats, too. Yeah. So, and, and the way that these decks are constructed, that you generally do find additional good threats. So, yeah, you just have to kind of play through the pain when it comes to something like Lotus plus Ancient Grudge. And I do think that Sphere gives you the most options. Sphere combined with Wasteland on two gives you the best chance of fighting through that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's Sphere as well. And that's where you're landing, huh? Yeah, I think it is. Okay. I think you you can make a case for the Wasteland play. It has certain upsides. And, and has, I think it has the highest ceiling, but it also has a lower floor, is what I would say, for the Wasteland play. Interesting. Yeah. This was a doozy wow, to start a, with. It sure was. This is enormously complicated. Yeah. Let's... Let me set up, a, let's, um, so another example that I want to talk about, I think is probably less, a little bit more straightforward, Okay. but it has to do with more of the sequencing than what you play. Yeah. And I want to talk about this scenario that involves a, a hand with opening ancestral recall, mm -hmm. Kevin. So why don't you present this? And this is a, this is a hand I had in, in round one, game one of a vintage challenge that I think I missed sequence. Why don't you present this hand, mm -hmm. and we'll talk about how how we might how you sequence this. Can you clarify? You were playing Jeskai here, right? I was. Okay. Yeah. So this opener is Scalding Tarn, Volcanic Island, Flooded Strand, Mox Emerald, Ancestral Recall, Mental Misstep, Pyroblast. That's three lands plus an Emerald, Ancestral Misstep, Pyroblast. And worth noting that that Emerald is not going to help you cast Ancestral or Pyroblast in this case. Right. <laughs> so, Steve, it looks like you'd like to tackle this as a two-parter. You want to talk about, well, you've got a scenario here where the opponent has played first, so then there's a question of how you react, but then right. how you sequence your first turn. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Set that up. So, you're on the draw here, and your opponent played Underground Sea and Preordain. So, right. the first initial question of the game, your first point of interaction is, do you misstep this Preordain? And also, you have to think about what they might be playing. Sure. Just like we did last time, C could signal, C preordain could be paradoxical, mm -hmm. it could be bug, mm -hmm. or it could be um, DPS. DPS mm -hmm. are, are all strong possibility. The most likely, of course, is paradoxical, right? On average. Right. It also could be Oath, technically, right? Yeah. Oath lists could be. do play 1C sometimes to cast Gristlebrand or what have you. Um, so there's, a, there's an outside chance that it's Oath, but that is the least likely, I would say, as compared to outcome, if it so would so do you misstep preordain? This is just one of the reasons I wanted to present this. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a question that comes up over and over and over again, <laughs> and and yeah. and everyone has a rule of thumb on what they do. <laughs> well, I wanted to know what yours is. Yeah, my rule is generally no. Only will I misstep a preordain is if I have a uh, second misstep. Well, if, yeah, <laughs> if I'm flush with missteps, like if I'm holding another misstep or I've got snap next turn, right? Um, also. If, we, if we're really resource-deprived, and I know this preordain represents multiple turns worth of fixing for my opponent in the mid-game, like, when we're both down like to one or two cards. Game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. On the first turn, in the, the so-don't-speak blind, absolutely not. I would not, especially given that I'm on an ancestral or no hand. I agree. I'm, I'm definitely valuing this misstep at protecting my ancestral above everything else. I completely agree with you. Yeah. So, 
I, I agree. I let I let preordains resolve in situations like this, but I counter them if I'm way ahead in card advantage. Oh sure. And they're like top decking, then I definitely will. Sure. Um, and if I'm flush with missteps, I probably will. But here's a question. So let's go to the next question then. So so you misstep, you draw DAC on turn one. Mm-hmm. What do you do now? Would you play the ancestral? If so, do you do it now when all you can do is protect it with misstep? And Kevin, which land do you play? <laughs> so if we're expecting that outcome is the most likely opponent, which I would say on average it is at this point, it's not, it, it might even be a majority of likelihood at this point. I heavily value my Pyroblast, even on turn one of the game, right? Right. They they definitely could have a hand where they preordained into Mana Crypt and just held it. Right. And they could just go so land Mana Crypt. So you want to be able to Pyro. Yeah, I want to be able to Pyro an So which land do you play? Well, given that I really don't expect them to be on Wastelands also, I think you can make a case for playing Volcanic Island. But the thing to keep in mind here is we're on Jeskai and our... Our lands in hand are two fetches and a volcanic. So you have two ways to get a tundra as the game evolves, if need be. And I really just value having multiple Volks in play. So I think for the purposes of thinning alone, I think I would lead with a, a fetch land. It also happens to mask my archetype just a tiniest bit, right? Yep. Um, if I only had one fetch land as a way to get uh, a, tr- a tundra, I would lead with the Volk. But since so I have two ways blast. to potentially, yeah, to potentially yeah. get uh, white, I'm going to lead with a fetch land because I'm. I think I'm going to crack it on my next, either in response to a spell to play pyro, or I'm just going to do it before my draw step to thin. Because with four mana, I mean, this is more mana than you want to see in a whole game with right. this deck sometimes. So if they're playing bug, then you get really screwed if they wasteland the Volk. Yes, because then you're two more turns off from casting ancestral and protecting with pyroblast. So I agree with you. I think the fetch land is vital to play there. Yeah, I do. I think that's the correct play. There's, yeah, I agree. In addition to everything I said, you don't want to give up that little bit of equity in the case where they have a wasteland or a strip. Don't forget, you know, oath decks frequently. It, if this is an oath deck, they two. frequently have a strip mine. And if it's or, bugged, and, waste. Yeah. and potentially. And so you don't want to give up that little bit of um, equity that you get by being waste and strip proof. I agree. And that's one thing I was trying to elicit with this scenario. But here's another question. Yeah. So let's go one more step in the process. So you go fetch land on turn one. Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably not playing the ancestral because you want to get the second land in play to protect your ancestral with pyroblast. Yep. But here's the other question: on turn two, are you going to play DAC or are you going to play ancestral and protect it with pyroblast? <laughs> that's that's super tough. It, it, by that point, do we know what we're playing against? Yes. Let's just say that you know, go through the different possibilities. What would yeah. you do against oath? I'm of two minds. Against Oath, I'm of two minds. If they actually cast Oath of Druids on the on their second turn, then I'm just going to Ancestral in response. Full stop. Oath is so powerful in that case. If they force your Ancestral, then so be it. But I think you've got to make that play. Which is kind of nice, because then it means you could just... Either way, you can probably Dak on three. I like Dak fading a ton against Oath for reasons that have become apparent over time, and that is it's a serious late-game threat. They have to respect it. Yeah. But so if they're on oath and they announce oath, I'm just going to ancestral in response. If they just play another land and say go, I am going to do the same. I'm going to play a land and say go. I'm going to stay interactive and flexible because even though Dak and is keep is ancestral fan, misstep and, keep and pyroblast ancestral up. Misstep, yep, all three of those spells up. Okay. Yeah. 
And it also has a little bit to do with what land they play, right? If they play... At uh, that point, you're playing around Flusterstorm for the Ancestral. That's yep, in a sense. In a sense. But you're also looking out for... They could have their own deck Faden on two, right? Right. Uh, or on three, I should say, in this scenario. They could have it on three. And you'd love to Pyroblast that. And also, if they happen to be on Bug still in this configuration, they could have Leovold on three in this configuration. And you definitely want to Pyroblast that. So deck Faden it, is very aggressive here, I think. And if you have a re, if you know your opponent and and or have a read on the matchup that is different, I could see making a case for Dak and just sandbagging that ancestral for later because it's still quite good and Dak is is a really strong card. But um, in the blind, I'm inclined to be more controlling here. Okay, interesting. What say you? Well, I think that I, I think it de- is very matchup dependent. Mm-hmm. I, for the reasons that you just said, I think that the I think. <laughs> If if they're PO and they play a mox, I'm going to go Dak. That's reasonable. Sure, I should have if, I should have qualified that if they just played a mox and nothing else or or some other unthreatening card, so to speak, then well, absolutely playing turn two Dak and taking that mox is reasonable. Well, one of the best possible cases is if your opponent actually plays their own Dak, then you pyroblast the Dak on the stack. With the, they'll have a mox in play on turn two, and then on turn, <laughs> then you play your Dak and steal their mox. Yep. That's the best. Absolutely. <laughs> And then you've got misstep and ancestral in hand for the following turn. And we, so I, sorry, Steve, I just realized we forgot to list Grixis thieves as one of the decks. This could be true. Yeah, and and that's also what you just described could definitely happen in that matchup. Right. Yep. Well, I think we're in accord. Yeah. I think it's interesting. It, right. The, the second land, the second mana source they play is probably going to be pretty illustrative, right? In a lot of cases, it's going to be a tropical island. If they're on Oether or Bug, it'll be a trop. But if they play a volcanic island, then you you switch gears, right? And you reevaluate. Because if they have access to Grixis lands, theoretically, then they're on either Grixis Thieves or potentially a different kind of combo deck. But the most likely thing is Grixis Thieves, I think, in this metagame. And that really shifts the value of your Pyroblast. (laughs) You really want to keep access to that Pyroblast as much as possible if you can help it. So, Kevin, this next scenario is less a specific scenario than a game state. This is a game that I observe. Justin Gennari, Gennari playing, um, well, he was streaming a Vintage Challenge last weekend that I did not get to play in. But I was at the park, and I just tuned in for a few minutes, and I saw this specific game. And I wanted to present this to you kind of in whole cloth, and we'll just, there's a couple decision points I just wanted to bring into focus, okay? Cool. All right. Okay. So, it's game three of a, a, ra- a mid-tournament round against Bug. Okay. <laughs> and Justin is playing Paradoxical Outcome. So, this is for the Paradoxical Outcome players out there. All right. <laughs> No, we've done a, uh, a workshop, we've done a just guy, and now I want to do a PO a scenario. So your opening hand, he called this extreme medium. <laughs> That's what he <laughs> called it. It was it was Underground Sea, Tundra, Scalding Tarn, Caracas, Four Lands, Preordain, Merchant Scroll, and Karn, the Karn Planeswalker. Karn Scion, yep. So the first question is, do you keep that hand against Bug? I, do you know if he's on the player to draw? He is on the draw. Hmm. Boy, that is extremely medium. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you keep this hand, it looks like you're 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 kind of priced into Tarn for Basic Island Preordain, Turn Two Merchant Scroll, Turn Three Caracas their Leovold, I guess. Yep. Yep. And hope you don't get wastelanded off of Karn too badly. Maybe a Merchant Scroll for Gush, I guess. Oh, but if you get wasted, it's going to be on the Caracas. So Gush doesn't help you. I don't know. It's extremely medium. That's uh, it's. Pr- you have to have a lot of faith it's, in your deck and a real good plan for this matchup. I think to keep that hand. 
there are some things I like about the hand. Number one, it's you're not going to get it's not a one line hand that's going to get blown out by a waste. And it doesn't get too punished two, by null rod n- either. It, that's the next point I was going to yeah. make. Number two, it doesn't get just punished by null rod. Number three, you've actually got a win condition. And number three, with Karn. And number four, you've got Resi- Caracas, which is resilience. To, you're not going to get just lose to Leoval. So I I think this deck actually has a lot of things going on with, yeah. with it. You're not going to play Caracas quickly. Right. Because, so you, they're going to wasteland one of the other lands first. Oh, that's a good point. You can draw out the first wasteland. So, yeah. 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 And Merchant Scroll gives you ac- access to Forcer and Sustral. So. I, I like, I mean, I don't like it, but <laughs> I, I mean, a hand of six, imagine if you go to six and it's like one land, you know, uh, yeah. Sensei's divining top. Land mox, mox outcome. Then, yeah. Yeah. Outcome. And then like a, 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 a treasure cruise or something you could be in, you, you can't mulligan that hand, but you're just going to get blown out by wasteland. Null yeah. Rod. yeah so, that's a good point. This hand so, is very resilient. So I, I agree with you. I think you keep it. It's not exciting, mm-hmm. but you keep it now. He actually, apparently he was on the play. I apologize. So definitely more thought, keepable on the play, I think. Yeah. So he goes Tundra preordain, and here's what he sees. Interesting. Tell me what well, you would hold do. On. This is in- uh, I'm interested in the Tundra play. Why he chose to play yeah. Tundra because you have access to Tarn for a basic here. I'm curious about why he did that. Maybe he wants to draw out a wasteland. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, that could be. Anyway, go on. <laughs> so he goes Tundra preordain, and he sees dig through time tinker. Wow. Interesting. Preordain sees dig. And Tinker. He's playing against Bug. Now, he has no artifact to Tinker away at this stage. Right. He, his hand, the rest of his hand is Merchant Scroll, C, Caracas, Tarn, and Karn, Scion, Neversa. Yeah. Dig is another long-term speculative play, right? But how long-term is it? Assuming you... Well, he's got fetch land in the... No, no, no fetch land. Well, sorry. No so fetch he's got land. Pre- he's got one card in the graveyard now. But next turn, yeah. he can fetch, play Merchant Scroll, and possibly get Wastelanded. That's four. Right. He would need to find two more cards to put in the graveyard to even announce dig theoretically. Well, right, one right. more if he got the three mana, which he still could. That's that's pretty speculative, also. Um, <laughs> unless he scroll, if unless he scrolls for ancestral, it's reasonable to think he could get to dig on turn four. That's my assumption yeah. is that you could dig on turn even on turn. You could. So if you if turn two you scroll, turn three ancestral, you might even be able to ancestral on turn three. You mean dig on three? I'm sorry, ancestral yeah, and depending dig. on if you Be- found a fetch land and, and one other, I don't know, it has to be a pretty narrow range of things like a free spell yeah. or a mox, like a probe. But yeah. it's, uh, the mox is incredibly reasonable in this deck, so yeah, I think dig's okay. Yeah, yeah. What what about the tinker? Would you just bottom I would just that? bottom tinker fast. Interesting. Yeah. So actually, I would have done the opposite. I would bottom dig real fast and then pop the tinker into my hand. Really interesting. Yeah, that's what I would have done because I think it's not that I think like tinker is some world beater, but because with this kind of hand, first of all, the PO deck has a high density of artifacts. So I think the chance of you getting an artifact is pretty good, sure. like in the next two or three turns, that you're going to be able to tinker for Blightsteel, and if they don't have an answer to it, they're just going to lose. Well, so you know, I that's think pretty reasonable. Worth- so how are you planning to find that artifact? You're going to Merchant Scroll for Gush next turn? Well, no, I just think that this deck has a really high density of artifacts. I mean, it's at least, it's between a quarter and a third of the, a quarter and a, yeah. probably... A third of the deck. So, you know, by turn four, you're going to find an artifact, is my guess. Well, just, that is a reasonable. I would say, yeah, maybe I was undervaluing the Tinker too much. Um, yeah, I see your point. Well, what did Justin do? And if, well, Justin bought them both. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Quickly. So he bought them both. I wonder what he, was, what he was thinking. What is he looking for if it's not either of those cards, right? That's a good question. <laughs> he, he bought him Dig, and then he bought him Tinker, and guess what he drew? <laughs> time vault 
<laughs> so so here's he, so right i mean time vault's kind of the example of what i was talking about right he could have gone turn two time vault turn three tinker yeah. not that that's not that that's really what you want to do because at that point you probably want to tinker have tinker open for key naturally but so his opponent um went um fetch land turn one huh. and then justin drew misty rainforest on turn two wow so he would have been able to probably play the dig on turn three following ancestral per your <laughs> thing but here's what actually happened so hold on but he would he wouldn't yeah. have drawn the misty though if he had kept dig and bottom tinker he would have drawn the time vault just now right right he would have drawn the time yeah. vault so here's what he actually did he played underground c instead of the tarn on turn two oh. and cast scroll okay what would you have done would you have played the having drawn another fetch land there i would definitely have yeah uh, but see the thing is Oh, he's shuffling either way, so there's no shuffle equity to be gained. No, I definitely would have yeah. fetched there. Me too. Yeah. So he plays Merchant Scroll, but his opponent actually plays Flusterstorm, fetches a land, and plays Flusterstorm on the scroll. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. Right. So, which I think is a completely legitimate play. I mean, y- you know, you don't know. Yeah, it is. It's totally leg- legitimate, yeah. Um. So then Justin, uh, sorry, his opponent takes a second turn, plays Tropical Island, so he's got C and Tropical Island in play now. Mm-hmm. And passes back to Justin. Wow. Justin Justin draws. Here's the kicker. He draws Gitaxian Probe on turn three. <laughs> so if he had kept the dig, he'd be able to play it this turn <laughs> <laughs> because he would have. If he had played the fetch on turn two, well, because he would he have, have shuffled away this have, probe though. He wouldn't have drawn this probe in that stage. I know. Yeah. I know. But if it was just random yeah, and he drew probe, that's true. Then he would have. But he hey, would have had. I, didn't the I list? It would have to be one of those free cards. Did. Yeah. You did because he would have had two fetches, the the probe, the um, scroll, and the wow. preordain, and he could pay three mana to cast the thing. Oh, he probes his opponent's hand. His opponent's hand, by the way, is Jace the Mind Sculptor, two Leovald, Nature's Claim, Scalding Tarn, and Tropical Island. Wow! Holy moly! His ex- opponent's <laughs> hand was extremely medium. Also, <laughs> this is way more than a scenario. This is a complete game. But let me let's just keep going because it's so interesting. Okay. Is I want to ask what you do. So with the probe, he sees his opponent's hands. He draws Force of Will. <sighs> so Justin's hand is Caracas, Karn, Tarn, Misty, Time Vault, and Force. Wow. Extremely awkward, right? Yeah. But he, he plays the Misty Rainforest. And the only thing he can do here is play Time Vault, which he doesn't because he knows it'll just get destroyed by Nature's Claim, right? I don't, so he passes. I don't see a problem what? with that, honestly. You, you would, you'd want to trade that? Yeah, I'm playing Paradoxical <laughs> Outcome. <laughs> I want to make that trade. <laughs> it, what, what if he draws outcome off the top next turn? Well, he still if he draws outcome, what's he going to do? Nothing, right? He, but the point is, <laughs> his, his game card. plan shifts to becoming an outcome game, and you're going to you're going to want to have invested in getting through that nature's claim if you're trying to at some point. And also, his his plan is about to shift to Karn, and you don't want your opponent to have nature's claim when you're making scions. Now that I agree with. You definitely want to fight That's, through that nature's claim, in my opinion. So you would you would have played the, the time oh, ball? Yeah. Okay. Well, so so what happens next is on his opponent's third turn, he plays another he plays the, the tropical island or a land and he casts Lee Oh, Bolt, Wait, of course. Also did did Justin play Caracas? Not yet. <sighs> Not yet. Because he played he played the uh, two dual lands and then a fetch. I, I would have played the Caracas too. I would have played Caracas. Well wouldn't you hold wouldn't you pl- hold the Caracas until after your opponent plays Leovold, or do you want to be able to use the Caracas? Yeah, I just want to get the mana equity out turn. of it. Well, if you're if you're the opponent, are you just going to pass the turn without having to play anything? 
No, you're going to play Leovold regardless. So do you want the you want the Krakus? I guess since you see your opponent's hand and they don't have Wasteland yeah. and they don't have Assassin's Trophy, maybe playing the Krakus there is the yeah, right play. Because, you, because you, they're you, still going to play Leovold. They want to do something and they want to draw the card. And you want to be able yeah. to Krakus on their end step as opposed to spending it next turn. I think you're right. I think that's the right play. Well, he didn't. So he fetches on his opponent's end step after they play Leovold, um, finding an underground C. And then on his turn, he draws... Mox Emerald. Mm. By the way, I just want to note, it's turn four and he's drawn two artifacts. <laughs> which backs up my point about Tinker, yeah, right? You're right. You were right. Um, so now what do you do? So he's got Kevin? he's got three mana, right? But yes, he hasn't he's played got the, the Caracas. The Caracas, the Tarn, and he's got Force, Karn, Time Vault. What do you do? I just play Karn leaving up Caracas and I uh and I make a construct. Interesting. I like that play as well. So you wouldn't Caracas immediately. No, You'd wait. you don't need to. Yeah. You wait and see what your opponent does. If you make a construct and you have Caracas up, then um, then the onus is on them to, to give you information before you need to act, right? Because if they just they, if they attack you, you, you don't Caracas it right there. It's useless. You wait till end step. If they attack Karn, yeah. you can block with the the construct if you want to if they nature's claim or destroy your construct with some other spell then you've got caracas to protect your card right yes so you're forcing I them to that, act to give you information so what he actually did was he played the mox and played karn but he decided to use karn's plus ability instead of building a construct yeah that's that's uh, okay it's defensible right you're playing a grindy game and he saw talarian academy and soul ring hmm. interesting <laughs> I think it. I think it actually shows the merit of. I do. I think I agree with you. I think I would have played the construct. Um, so he he get he took the soul ring into his hand, mm-hmm. got the soul ring, and then he played the Caracas and um, passed the turn. Mm-hmm. It, so it's very similar to the line you would have taken the, the sequence you would have taken yeah. there, right? Yeah. Except the difference is you would have had a a one one artifact. Well, it would have been two two because of the emerald, but <laughs> still. I'm yeah. sorry, two two. Yeah. So um, the opponent. Attacks Leovold into Karn, and then of course Justin activates Caracas to bounce the Leovold. Um, and uh, if you're, and then it's interesting it, there it, whether or not you even do that mid combat. If you're planning to use your Karn as a draw engine, do it on the end step. Yeah, you don't need to bounce mid combat well, there. The Karn would lose two loyalty if you don't three. I guess that's not that big of a deal. Leovold's a three three. But Karn was at five. He would go five down to is two. It, is that what you mean? No, he he goes. He was up to six because he did the plus. So he got on. To oh, three. I'm sorry. You're right. You plussed. So yeah, yeah, you get on to three. But the point is, you, you still, so, you don't need to stop the Leovold right well, there. Well, I I agree with you. I think you, and that actually shows why you make the construct yeah, too. Precisely. The the other thing, remember, we we probed and we saw Jace. Yeah. So what your opponent really wants to do is play Jace now. So if you wait to Leov, if you wait to Caracas, and your opponent is going to play Jace regardless, right? Yeah. So so does it really make a difference? And since you know your opponent has Jace, making the construct also gives them the opportunity to just play Jace and bounce the construct to try to get in. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to work, but it, it gives them an option to make uh, what is a pretty low equity play. I don't, I don't think anyone would really do that, but it gives you, we always want to give your opponent the option to make suboptimal plays. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing they could do, if you Caracas during the attack step, they could just replay, they could nature's claim the construct yep. And then replay Leovold instead of playing Jace. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I do like getting them to tap out there. Also, so bouncing he, Leovold during combat gives them an extra card, which makes their Jace brainstorm better, if that's the path they take. Right, exactly. Yep. 
Well, for whatever reason, the opponent didn't do that. His opponent actually, so Justin Caracas, during combat, his opponent played his fourth land and he cast Jace. Interesting. But then he fate sealed himself, I believe, going to five, probably anticipation of the fact that Karn is probably going to be making some construct. I so don't pat- get that. I don't get that at all. I agree. I think like, that the, the opponent the still Jace has nature's claim in hand, right? Right. Hmm. So hmm. anyway, so the the opponent passes. Justin draws brainstorm. Now what do you do? Wow. Your hand is Tarn. She kept that fetch land. It's Tarn, Time Vault, Force of Will, Soul Ring, Brainstorm, and an exile with the silver counter is Talarian. And your board is Tundra, CC, Caracas, <laughs> Mox Emerald, and Karn with six. Loyalty. Good grief. What's, what's the play? Oh, I have no idea at this point. So you can <laughs> you can activate Karn's Plus to make your brainstorm way better, in my opinion, yeah. which is really attractive. But Move that to seven. You, yeah. So you're kind of seeing three and a half cards there, right? Because odds are good yep. you're just going to get a mox or a land off of this Karn activation. But it does put another card into your hand and make your brainstorm that much better, that much deeper. Um... And you have a fetch land to shuffle away extra mana. So even if you do get a land off of this Karn activation, it becomes a virtual other card because of your fetch, which is nice. And I, I, the the card advantage player in me can't can't turn down that play. I don't think. <laughs> I think I would just plus Karn and then brainstorm probably because you're still live for Key Vault. Yeah, you're yeah. very live for Key Vault here. You could just draw. I mean, he's completely your opponent's tapped down. Yeah. Right. So tell me exactly what you do. Play by play. Uh, I would plus the card. Don't shortcut. Yeah, I would plus so the card. Okay, then what? Well, it would depend on what I drew, but assuming that what card they gave me, assuming that card is not great, because I'm guessing it's going to be a land or a mox, then I would tap one of my lands that can cast Brainstorm, and I would cast Brainstorm. Interesting. Yeah. So what I would do is I would, before I play Brainstorm, I would play Soul Ring. Uh, owing to the fact that they could be holding Mental Misstep. Okay. Yes. No, that's that's totally reasonable. I was I was not thinking of all the rest of cards in my hand at this point. Yeah, t- absolutely. You tap Mox Emerald to play Brainstorm. Or, or, uh, uh, sorry, Soul Ring. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. It, what what he actually does? He doesn't use Karn at all. He just leads. He taps Underground Sea and plays Brainstorm. And his opponent has Mental Misstep and missteps the Brainstorm. Now, wow. I don't think there's a high probability the opponent missteps the Soul Ring. Justin said he thinks it's like 2%. I think it's more than 2% because when you're playing as Paradoxical Outcome, Soul Ring is an amazing card. <laughs> yeah, I think it's higher than 2% if your I opponent knows around outcome. I but let's say it's 10%. That still shields the brain still shields the brainstorm. Here's another here's another thing to bear in mm-hmm. mind. If you resolve Soul Ring, you can hard cast force to protect the brainstorm, which may mm. be worth doing, especially if you plus the Karn first so you can get closer to Keyvault. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying that you would, but I'm saying that it gives you that option. Yeah. Well, the, <laughs> depending on what there's what another you factor see. that tends in your favor there. And that is if you plus Karn and find a Mox, then if you plus Karn and they give you a Mox and you go play that Mox, cast the yeah. Soul Ring, that's really yeah. telegraphing an outcome right there. And yes. they're much more likely yes. to misstep that Soul Ring in that case. Exactly right. That's exactly right. So, so here's what actually happens. And this thing gets just, it's like the exact opposite of what you would have done and what I would have done. <laughs> so he played Brainstorm, which got misstepped. Then he pl- tapped the, the, emerald, uh, the Emerald and played Soul Ring, which resolved. Then he created a construct. Okay. I mean, you're threatening your opponent's Jace. I get it. Right. Did he also play Time right. Vault? 
No, he did not. He just so it's a three-three construct at the moment. Interesting. Okay. And, and Karn is now down to four. So, so at this point, um, I can understand not playing Time Vault for the um for the, the yes, bluff factor. Hold up force. It, not only are you holding up force, but you've also you're also holding up. Caracas. Oh, he can still hard cast force with this configuration. Yeah, I can't picture yeah, because, the lands in my mind. So yes, absolutely. Well, the only two things that are, the only things that are tapped are the sea and the emerald. So he's got four other lands that are untapped, okay. including the tarn he's playing, going to play this turn. Okay. And the soul ring and the original two dual lands and the Caracas. So he's got hard cast force up and Caracas untapped. All right. So what does his opponent do? So his, his opponent untaps and taps trop, tropical island and plays ponder. Okay. Which resolves. Yep. And then his opponent taps the underground sea and the trop. Oh, sorry. His opponent actually first thing he does is he bounces the construct with Jace. So Jace goes down to five. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now what happens? Hey, remember is what I said about giving your opponent an opportunity to make those kind of plays? Exactly. Yeah. Now here comes an interesting part. One of the things that that I think is defining about this game and interesting about this game is when do you force Leovold and when do you bounce Leovold? Yeah. So his opponent now replays Leovold and plays another fe- a fetch land. So he's got five lands, four lands tapped, and plays Leovold. Hmm. Do you force it or do you just hold up Caracas, Kevin? What do you do? So the mathematics there to me are, am I getting to the point where I could cast an outcome and hard cast a force to protect it? Right. You're pretty close because you've got five mana, uh, uh, a um, emerald, and the soul ring. And don't forget that the Talarian has a silver counter on it, so you can get that back at oh, will. Oh, yeah. So you, No, I think I, I think I just can't keep bouncing Leovold there then. The reason I like bouncing the Leovold uh, instead of forcing it is because we know he has a second in hand. Oh, I've forgotten about that. Absolutely. If you've got a second in hand, you, yeah. you, you yeah. can't defense forcing one there. But, but, but Justin Hardcast Force. Okay. Which doesn't make any sense to me. So that's the exact opposite of what I would have done. It's just like a one for one. All this is is a one for one trade with your opponent. It denies them one the one card they would have gotten from you bouncing Leovold. Yeah, it gets the all it does is one card. Your cards are more powerful. Yeah. I think because you can you can protect Po at this point. I just think that's the wrong play. Yeah, I'm with you. So he did he did almost everything in my opinion differently than I would have. I would have kept Tinker. Yeah. I would have led with the soul ring, not brainstorm. I would have done what you did. I would have done a construct the first time instead of silver. Yeah. And the second time I would have done plus one <laughs> instead, instead of the of construct. construct. And then in, and instead of um, forcing, I would have bounced the Leovold yeah. there. So and he's leading with the soul the ring opposite. instead of the, the brainstorm. Yeah. yeah. So he's done four different things. Than in, <laughs> it doesn't mean you and I would have done the same thing, but he's done four opposite things. That's funny. So here's what happens next. He untaps and he draws Mox Sapphire. Which... Would have been the card he got off of the Karn if he'd activated it last turn, like I said. True, true. So he creates, so in his main phase, he creates another, I think, wait, let me see. No, he he reveals the, he pluses Mm -hmm. it, and he sees Force of Will Time Walk. Okay, interesting. (laughs) His opponent gives him Force, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then he plays the Mox, so now he's got three artifacts in play. His opponent, and he's holding Time Vault and Force. Yep. And his opponent has Jace. Um, now his opponent, um, plays, um, the second, sorry, the first thing he does is he actually J storms this turn. Okay. So it's been, he's used all three different Jace abilities. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so Jace has four loyalty. Um, this, you know, obviously with the fetch land, the J storm is looking pretty good, but he taps the three, le- three of the five lands and plays Leovold. I think you're priced into forcing this Leovold now. Exactly. <laughs> Since you did the first one, I think you are yeah. right. Well, guess what? He doesn't. <laughs> so, Interesting. So I, he, I, 
this is what's interesting about this is every time that Leovold has happened, he's had the option between force and carrot croc mm-hmm. just about. And he's done the opposite of what I would have done. I would have bounced the first yep. one and forced this yep. one, given the position he's in. He's done the exact opposite. He lets it resolve. Well, I'm, to be perfectly honest, I wouldn't have forced either of them. I would have no, bounced no, the last one, and I, I would be bouncing this one, too. Yes. Well, I think I think if I was in this position, I would have forced this one because of the position I was put myself in, had been put in. Well, you'd have a, you'd have two forces in your hand right now, for one. No. Oh, that's a good point. You, you'd be holding that's double force. Yeah, that's a good point. So now, guess what happened? <laughs> now, now Justin draws balance. What? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so it's like if he hadn't afford, if he had, he could have just balanced, right, and then been in fine shape. If he hadn't have played, spent the wow. Anyway, wow. if he hadn't have bounced the uh, Leovold with Caracas, his opponent has six cards in hand. Um, well, now you just ma- no see. So, the, so Leovold's not in play, right? Right, because he bounced it. But his opponent He's is full it. of cards, and a Jace is on five t- brains. Four, oh, yep. four. Sorry. So, but you've played balance, so you really want to make constructs now. You, I think you've got balance. Op- you've got oh, sorry, balance. you've drawn balance. Yeah. I really feel like now you can just start making constructs that your opponent has to deal with because now they're bigger than Leovold and they're threatening. They're all lethal for to Jace. Well, and don't forget you've got Time Vault, uh, not Time Vault. You've got Time Walk and Talarian Academy exiled that you can grab with Karn if you yeah, if you want. That's true, but I mean, minusing Karn just to take another turn just to plus Karn or something is not that not that hot. I yeah. forget how much loyalty is Karn on right now. Five. Oh, totally it's healthy. Quite yeah, a bit. so you can still make two constructs and keep it. Yeah, I make a construct here and say go because I want my opponent to try and interact with this construct. Well. I agree with, I think, well, so you're not going to balance at all, even though you, if you balance, no. you'd go down to, what? Why, why would my opponent care about balance at this point? I'm balancing. Your opponent has six cards in hand and you and have, you're going to have time vault. You're going to have four when you put balance on the stack. No, your hand is just time vault, force of will balance. That's it. Time vault for, oh, so they're going to discard so four can, cards. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I forgot that he forced the, Sorry. If this game had played out the way I would have played it, I would still have two Force of Wills in my hand at this point, yeah. is the thing. So yeah. I was stuck thinking about how it would have gone in my mind. So, okay. So if they're going to discard four cards, then this balance is okay. Sure. Yeah. But keep here's the trick, though. To play the play it that way, you have to tap down four mana, leaving exactly five up. To play it what you way? Have to, ba- to play Time, oh, time Vault, vault into balance. Of course. Ring. Of course. Sure. Yeah. Sure, sure. So he, you, he plays the Time Vault. Yep. The guild down to two cards. Then he taps the Tundra and the Sapphire to play balance. This is all before using the, the Karn, yep. you know. Yep. And his opponent um, responds with um, responds with Nature's Claim. Mm-hmm. It in this point, this is where Justin actually forces the Nature's Claim. Interesting. Okay. Which I would not have done. Well, I would have let the, the Nature's Time Vault. Th- yes. Sure, I would let that resolve all day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, because your whole goal is the balance is the most important thing. Here, yeah, absolutely. Not the top, because if you can empty your opponent's hand, then there's a really good chance that you can. You all you're trying to do is get to get to paradoxical. Sure. Right? And you've also, got, you've got Karn defeats Jace, right? Yes, In this context, I agree. I think. So, well, no, wait, hold on, wait, so, wait, wait. No, that's not correct. I'm sorry. You have Karn goes it down. Yet. It doesn't. Karn goes down by it. two each time. Karn does not beat Jace. Yeah. So if you create a construct, you lose two, and your opponent can just go down to three and bounce it. Yeah. But but if you were to up it post balance, I think you can probably race Jace by trying to dig for POs. Uh, that's reasonable. That's true. That's reasonable. Regardless, you want the balance to resolve. Yeah. That's the most important Agreed. thing because you have no cards left in your hand besides the force. 
Well, so Justin successfully countered the nature's claim, but his opponent forced the balance. <laughs> so yep. his opponent at the end was left with three cards in his hand. Justin has none. And I'm not going to go through the rest of the game, but the game went quickly downhill from here. Sure. I- I'll just mention that I think he, let's see, the next play was he he revealed the top cards. And guess what? The, and they were, um, they were um, Black Lotus and another Karn. <laughs> so they weren't, they weren't particularly good there. Dang. Yeah. But anyway, I what I think is so interesting about this game, and we went through a lot of it, is that Justin ended up losing the game, uh, you know, given the fact that this board state. What I think is so interesting about it is that the sequencing of Force and Caracas with with uh, really was intriguing because you had legitimately both options at each mm-hmm. point, and you had to figure out how to sequence your Planeswalkers vis-a-vis your hand and your opponent's Planeswalker. And you had so many options at every point, and I disagree with almost every play Justin made, <laughs> which is really like crazy. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, every Karn activation, every sequence, the Force, the Caracas, you know, countering the Nature's Claim, all, almost every play. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying I disagreed with yeah. him. So it's interesting. Definitely. So very interesting. So let's move to one of our back to one of our discrete scenarios again. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and this one is another one that involves balance, Kevin, which are, <laughs> is one of your favorite cards. Nice, nice. So let me actually set this one up because it's it's so it's game. It's a tournament match that I played against Cyrus, uh, who is a notorious combo player. He's done really. He top aided the Legacy uh, Champs top eight, and I think he did really well at some major tournament recently. I don't know. It was a Grand Prix or Star City game, mm-hmm. um, but he's a combo player and he plays DPS in Vintage. And I was playing him at our local shop. He's playing Dark Petition Storm. This is game three, and I'm playing Just Guy Mentor. Okay? Uh-huh. So I mulligan to six on the play, and my opening hand is quite funny. <laughs> it is Force of Will, Preordain, Time Walk, Balance, Mox Ruby, Mox Pearl. Mm-hmm. I mulligan to six, and I don't feel like I really want to mulligan further. I have Ruby, and I have Pearl, which are two of my key colors. So if I draw Pyroblast, I can play it off the Pearl. If I draw Fragmentize, which I have for DPS, I can play it off the pearl rather than, and I can play Power Blast off the ruby. Um, and I get to scry, and I'm on the draw, and I scry, and I see Mox Sapphire. So I'm going to keep that there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I I play Ruby, Pearl, and Balance, and my opponent discards four cards. That's pretty good balance. Yes, it is. <laughs> and they discard a Fetch Land, a Dark Ritual, a Lion's Eye Diamond, and a Defense Grid. Okay, value. <laughs> heck of value so they have three cards left in their hand yeah they untap they draw a card and they play black lotus the question i want to ask you is <laughs> do you force black lotus so my first instinct is yes just full stop right away and it's born out of muscle memory from playing against dark ritual based combo decks because the way that control decks and controlling decks lose to these kind of combo decks historically is just um play this duress and then play this draw seven or whatever right or play this other hand right so Immediately, what I'm concerned about is that they discarded a defense grid and three mana sources. What that means is the reason they kept this hand is still in their hand, right? <laughs> and if they also have Black Lotus, it suggests to me that they can almost certainly cast whatever they kept this hand for, because right. most of the spells that are really super threatening on turn one in DPS are like three mana spells, right? Necro, Twister, yep. Wheel, Tinker, that kind of stuff. So what I'm fearing here is that the other three cards in his hand at this point are just like a land, a duress, and a draw seven. Or a land, a duress, and worse, necro, right? So 
in my opinion, you can't let this force resolve and then count on countering whatever it would cast because I expect it to be preceded by a duress. That's my baseline opinion on how you handle threatening spells uh, out of uh, out of DPS. If this was a later turn, I'd be worried about a storm right now also. But since he's yeah. down to three cards in hand, the storm probably... I mean, yes, he could storm for four, but that's not a game-winning play necessarily. So... What I'm thinking here is that I would force this out of almost out of habit, even though there's a reasonable chance that he doesn't actually have duress plus a draw seven here. It's just that it's just such a common play that I don't want to lose to it. Well, there are a couple of things that you've keyed into that I think are important. The first is there's some reason he's kept this hand that's still in his. Hand. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly what it is, but it's on a short it, list of things, it could, right? It's a it's a short list of things. It could be necropotence. It could be a draw seven. Mm-hmm. But it's it, it's likely one of those two things. Uh, I didn't list. It could also. I'm sorry. I didn't list. Like it could be like dark demonic tutor plus dark, uh, the Ogmos will. Right. It could be dark <laughs> petition as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Dark petition. Dark petition. Obviously, if you're if he goes black lotus, so he's four cards. Mm-hmm. Right. He had three cards left, and he drew one yeah. card. If it's dark petition, which is the most likely unrestricted, it's the yeah. unrestricted right, card. Right. Then he's going to have to go black lotus, dark ritual, dark petition, mm-hmm. and a land to get it going. Right. No, the lotus. Oh, sorry, and the lotus. Ritual r- give- sorry, that the, the, yeah, the ritual would be enough. the second, um, the second spell in his yard. I was talking about. I was worried about uh, spell mastery. Right, he has a ritual already in his yard. Yeah. So that would mean he kept a hand with with two rituals, um, which is certainly possible. That's totally reasonable. Um, yeah. Totally reasonable. Um. So, and by the way, how insane is the hand with black lotus LED grid and two rituals? <laughs> if he has two rituals, yeah. Um. I. So he has. A Necropotence, a draw seven, which means like a, a Wheel of Fortune, a Time Twister, a Tinker, mm-hmm. or he has um, a Dark Petition. If it's Dark Petition, you don't force this. Right. You force the card he gets with Dark Petition. Right. Because that's the exception to the if, rule I was talking about. It's the sort of haymaker that requires right. all the mana. If it's Necropotence, you still probably don't force a will unless he has a Dark Ritual. If he has a Dark Ritual, then you will have wished that you have... Uh, force the the lotus but if he doesn't have another dark ritual if his hand is just like let's say lotus necro and two not you know let's say another fetch land and another card that doesn't really i guess it's hard to say what doesn't matter because of <laughs> he's discarded good cards. yeah um let's say it's another bomb he's holding in hand right sure um then you you probably still want to hold the force for the bomb if he's holding an, an, a dark ritual you do no no, I said if he's if he's holding Necropote, yeah, a Lotus and a land and and another bomb. So like, let's say he's holding like Necro and Twister. Oh sure, and land. But without this Lotus, then he can't cast Twister unless right. he draws but two you, more. Right, you're sources. still better off countering the spell he plays off the Lotus in that case. Well, if he's yeah. holding two two spells, two two bomb, mm-hmm. a land and a Lotus, he kept keeping a land is is likely yes. because you know you, so. In that case, you still counter, you, you don't counter the Lotus because you counter the card that he uses with the Lotus. So that card is out of his hand. So he's down to one fewer cards in hand. Um, I say objectively that is correct. However, countering the Lotus here effectively prevents that other card from being cast until he draws two more mana sources. So right. I like it but here, he, even though it's not the absolute best outcome. Right. I understand. Yeah. I understand. I agree with that. But if he has a land... His chances of drawing some mana sources in the next couple turns are pretty good. Yeah, so the, so the is a little light is, on on lands, but, but sure. Think about your, our hand. Our hand, we're going to be forcing pitching the preordain or the time uh-huh. walk. 
we have the Sapphire. We're not going to be getting to another force of will anytime soon. Probably not. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you have to be as judicious as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so you would probably force the Lotus. Yes, I would, because all the examples you've given me, the forcing the Lotus prevents me from losing the game this turn. (laughs) And it's also proactively preventing future spells from entering the stack still. Right. Because if what what could he have kept here? That means he can cast another bomb next turn. He could have kept mana crypt. If he if he keeps, um, let's say he keeps Dark Ritual and Fetch Land, yep. and he has Necropotence, yep. and you force the Necro, yep. then he can just go fetch Ritual Necro anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's or, it's not or, possible to cover all or, possible bases here, right? Or if he kept if he kept Dark Petition, all he needs is one more a Mox off the top, and if you force the Lotus, the next turn he can do Dark Petition off the the Fetch and the next Land or Mox and Dark Ritual. I mean, so Steve. What's more likely that he kept an opening hand that had two rituals or a ritual and a duress? Yeah, I think I think it's well. It's it could, could also be. Here's what I think is more likely. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think it's probably most likely. I think it's a wash that he's kept a land and a mox in a bomb uh-huh. versus a duress and a mo- and a bomb and a land. I think those are the two e- equally likely situations. So you're saying it's probably equally likely that the, the the pivotal card is either a duress or another bomb. Yes. Yeah. In which case, no, I, no, 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 another mana or another duress. That's what I. Well, think. In, in either case, I want to force this loaded. Yeah. Yeah. It, yes, there is one well, possible I, configuration that goes bad for me, but you can't cover all possible bases here. You just can't. Well, the only the only way it goes bad with with um, duress, though, if he has a duress, the only way it goes bad is if the last card among the, quote, bombs is Necropote. No, I mean, you still lose to a, a Time Twister or a Wheel or a Tinker here. If he has a Fetch Land, but if not if it's an Off Mox, Off Color Mox or a Ritual, well, then you don't. Well, yeah, the point is, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're still going to lose to a draw seven on the first turn from this deck. You just are. Like, okay, <laughs> it's well, not a sure thing, but that's the, that is the thing you're trying to avoid in this I context. I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. I think it's really close. He did. He ended up not having a fetch land. Okay. He ended up not having a dark ritual. He ended up having a mox and a duress. So he kept lotus, duress, mox, or the three. Car- and the last card was Yogmoss will. Okay. Which is very weird to keep in this hand. <laughs> well, which card? Which card did he draw for the turn? I don't know. I think it was the mox. So he must. He kept lotus will, and then one one of the other two mana sources and drew another one. Yeah, I think he was just. I think he was just planning. This deck is. This hand is so good that anything he draws, in he'll have duress will. Yeah, I think that's what his plan was. So he 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 ended, he duressed the force. Um, oh, and then he had a duress. I'm with, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he duress. Yeah, he duressed the. He he sacrificed the lotus. Duressed the will. Played ritual. Uh, duressed my force of will. <laughs> played Yogmas will. Replayed defense grid. Lion's eye diamond and the fetch yeah. land from the graveyard and then like a turn or two later he found um dark petition storm and i died it must have been more um, than a turn or two he would have had i think it might have actually been the next turn oh i'm sorry he would have just replayed six mana i'm sorry you're right yeah <laughs> it doesn't take it long was just after the that. next yeah. turn so it was a weird it was a weird hand but i think you're right i think in that scenario you've just got to force well the, I, the yeah i mean the, the young moss will is a weird result it is low on the list of haymakers i would have expected him to keep because it means his opening hand has no action, quite literally. Right. But right. the theory still stands. If you force that Lotus there, then he just says go, and you might still lose, right? <laughs> because if right. he just pulls another mana source off the top. See, that's the weird weird thing about playing against combo decks that are that have ephemeral mana, like rituals like Belcher in this, is that sometimes they get into scenarios where all they want is action, 
and they and they draw mana right. and, and sometimes they get the converse and this is one of those situations where you keep a hand with no business but because of the way the game plays out all you want in the world is to draw a third mana source <laughs> on turn two <laughs> right which looks totally well, bizarre given the starting seven but it's the one thing here's you something want. <laughs> that matt sperling pointed out that i think is really important about that this kind of okay. hand because he was in that he was in the tournament the compressive effect the, the balance is not like him to Torok. Compressive effect of the balance mm-hmm. is is choice driven. Yeah. Meaning that your opponent selects to what they really want, yeah. which I think makes the Black Lotus much deadlier than if it was just a random, you know, random card. Yeah. Which means that I think that tilts it towards countering the Lotus. Whereas if you normally come up in this situation, like imagine your opponent If you'd mind twisted him for four. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And they go that then you probably let the Lotus yeah result right it's more likely to because i haven't sculpted the scenario yeah i totally get that and i think i i feel intuitively about that that it's part of the reason why i feel like forcing the lotus is good because i'm expecting that it is delaying their plays by potentially two turns right right if if he didn't keep two like just because of the weirdness of the hand right a lot of players would be incentivized to keep Lotus and just enough mana to play whatever else they've got, like a duress, right? A lot of players would keep a land, a Lotus, a duress, and a haymaker, right? I can do all of that next turn. <laughs> but the problem is, as we've observed, the Lotus gets forced and that hand falls apart and can't do anything productive for a while. Right. And that's what I was anticipating was the actual result. It turned out to be even there weirder. There are ways you get punished, but I don't think they're very many. Absolutely. At least not in the short term. Short term. I don't think they yeah. are the majority. Yeah, agreed. Okay. Well, that was an interesting game, and I was disappointed to lose that game for sure, <laughs> <laughs> especially after playing turn one ballot. Naturally. But um, that's the, sometimes how the cookie crumbles. <laughs> Let's turn to an opening hand where it's just, this is a more straightforward, just how do you sequence this opening hand? Yep. Kevin, why don't you present this? So this is another Jeskai hand, but it's of a, t- of a different kind of flavor. This hand is Volcanic Island, Black Lotus. Those are your mana sources. The other five cards are Monastery Mentor, Preordain, Gitaxian Probe, Ancestral Recall, and Swords to Plowshares. So for a reminder, <laughs> you've got a Volk and a Lotus. You've got Preordain, Probe, Ancestral Plow, four one-mana spells ostensibly, and Monastery Mentor. Now, I've had a hand like this many times right? <laughs> For people like you and me who have played Mentor as much as we have, this hand comes up. It really does. And especially before Probe was restricted, right? This, this yeah. happened a fair bit, honestly. I have, I have had sequences very much like this. So my inclination here is full stop, just well, Probe. But I, well, before we, get it, before we get into the specific yeah. merits of any play, why don't we just talk, talk about what, what are the tensions in this oh, hand? Oh yeah, absolutely. So in my opinion, you know, Lotus Mentor is a, is a duo on the first turn that just can't be beat most of the time. Most of the time. Right. The trick is you have no protection, of course, for any of it. Right. That's the, the tension. The tension is resolving Mentor on turn one and then following it up with all of the, like with Probe and a, and a Candrip or Ancestral yeah. maximizes the value of Mentor. Mm-hmm. The, the downside is if the Mentor is countered, then you get none of that value. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's the tension in the hand. You have... You have a little bit of virtual protection in the form of Gitaxian Probe because you get information and you have a little bit of virtual protection in the form of your cantrips or your ancestral in that it's conceivable that you could put Mentor onto the stack and respond to a would-be force of will with ancestral to find your own force. It is possible to defend your Mentor here. It's just you would have to anticipate and or play toward that. 
Which is right. why so just, I went straight to the probe as the opening offer. So, so let me let me put a pin in the in the last major point that you made, which is that if you probe and you discover your opponent has force of will, mm-hmm. you can preordain to try and find yeah. like a a pyroblast or a force of will so that you can protect the mentor. And you'll have seen like four cards to get there, right? <laughs> yeah. Between the probe and the preordain, and maybe another draw. So or or bottoming two cards. So I there's a really strong case to be made to go that route um you could also just bait the force with ancestral if you think the mentor is more valuable yeah right and if they have no immediate answer to the mentor too right yeah so so to some extent the tension isn't about isn't actually there's two tensions the one tension is you know maximizing the value of the mentor (laughs) but the other tension is actually figuring out what's really important yeah right and that shifts from match to match Is the mentor the most important card? Is the ancestral the most important card? Right. Like, what do you actually value the most? And that's really getting the game uh, well, and sensitive. If you had this hand, for example, against Cyrus's opening hand just now, you do not want to cast that Monastery Mentor. No. That is the lowest. I mean, <laughs> the Swords the Plowshares is the worst card, but it's the second least powerful card in this hand against DPS. You might have to you might have to but yeah but you're prob but you're certainly going to want to play all the all the blue spells first but if probe were to reveal you cyrus's seven card hand from that last one i'm pretty sure in in my eyes lotus is going to cast ancestral and then preordain (laughs) this game i mean within reason i would consider the the the, uh, mentor depend on what card i drew off for the probe but um all things being equal you're right mentor is not always the most valuable card in this hand and also, and the, if you yeah. if you probe your opponent and they have they're playing, I don't know, let's say land still, and they've got two plows in their hand. Yeah. Well, you're yeah. not just going to run out mentor in that case to, well, to get well, it plowed and end up with one monk or something. Especially if you led with the probe, yeah, because because then all you get is one, one monk, more monk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I agree with you completely. This becomes matchup dependent very quickly. But I also think... Against a blind opponent on the play, what would you do? Well, so I started making notes when I was preparing for this. And the first thing I said was, I'm just going to probe. As I started notating the um, the possible outcomes of that probe, I realized that you have to play the land first. Because how your opponent reacts to the probe, you might wish you had that land in play to play Ancestral Recall. Ancestral yeah. So what might they do? Miss if they misstep in response? Yeah, and that was the that was the first thing that I considered was if they misstep this probe, I'm going to want to at least have access have to that option. yeah the ancestral in response. Only because you might draw a misstep to misstep their misstep. Um, that's the, it's not the only not reason. Them, but why not? Why not? Then what's the other reason? Why not just let them misstep it, play the land in ancestral? The same result if you're not responding to the probe. Well. If you were planning to do if so, if you're planning to play the land in ancestral anyway, then there's no good reason not to do it in response, right? Yeah, but there's a reason, I guess. I guess. <laughs> so if I was going to just play the land in ancestral anyway, because I drew out their sure, misstep, sure. then I'm just going to do it in response, because then I get all the extra value of what I might draw right there, right? Because if you draw a misstep, if you draw a double misstep, right, you're going to wish you had done it in response to protect your probe, because, um, Misstepping yeah. a probe is a, is a very corner case in vintage anymore, right? It's an unusual thing. I, it's done. It's only done yeah. in a few specific circumstances, right? Like if you've got an opening hand that has force of will and mental misstep in it, and you're on Jeskai, and your opponent probes you on the first turn, you're going to consider misstepping it, right? But you're probably not going to most of the time. 
I get my probes messed up quite a bit, but I don't not in the mirror. <laughs> it, it's mostly by uh, you know weird decks that don't want me to see their hand, like an oath deck. <laughs> see, that's you know? all the more reason to have access to that ancestral in response, because if your opponent has um, is pr- protective of the information as a high priority, then you doubly yeah. want to have that information. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I, I completely agree yeah. with you. But so anyway, that's why I asked. Yeah. I, I asked the specific reason. Yeah. I mean, the only reason I could think of to do it in response is because you might draw another misstep uh, draw, draw a misstep to misstep their misstep. I can't think of another reason why it makes a difference whether you do it in response or whether you just play the land after the probe is countered. Um, I could see a, I could see one possible world where you force of will their misstep also. Okay. It, it, and that's if you. If you ancestral into like a, an even higher variance play, well, if you ancestral I, into like yeah. force of will, um, mock sapphire time walk, or um, yeah. that yeah. doesn't quite do it. it well, would I have, guess it, if ancestral, yeah, I guess if ancestral resolves, then countering their misstep might actually make sense, regardless, because you just want to you want that extra card, yeah, and you want also the information to press as hard as possible. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, it's, it's low odds, but I would say the other, the primary reason is to find a misstep. The secondary reason is that the three cards you get could change your sequence <laughs> and cause you to reevaluate your, your probe in, in real time. That too. Anyway, point is uh, I concluded that I think I just want to go Volk probe in this situation, have access to the ancestral play if needed, but basically getting the information about matchup in their hand. And then from there, it becomes heavily context sensitive, right? They could have any combination of counter spells still, uh, an unused misstep. They could be on any other non-blue matchup, right? If it's workshops or dredge, then I'm going to reevaluate. Mostly, most of the other non-blue matchups is going to result in my going Lotus Mentor, right? But if they're workshops and they have um, workshop Mox Ballista in hand, then I'm going to go Lotus Mentor Pass holding up Ancestral to protect my mentor from ballista on two. So there's still some, there's still some uh, uh, differences in non-blue matchups. But as we previously said, if also if they're in a combo deck like DPS or Belcher, then I'm going to quickly pivot to, hey, I should probably be um, using this Lotus to can- cantrip and sculpt my hand. Right. So, so you're going to lead with Probe. And then if they have a force of will, are you going, what are you going to do? Oh yeah. So if they're on a blue deck and they have force, but no misstep, then I'm going to consider, do I, which do I value more given the contents of their hand? Do I value ancestral more or mentor more? And I'm going to lead with the other because I'm going to press the issue here. I want them to force, right? So if I think mentor, if they have no removal and no answer for mentor, then I'm just going to tap my Vulcan and say, uh, ancestral. If they force it, then I'm going to go Lotus mentor. If they don't force it, then I'm going to reevaluate <laughs> because then I have Lotus and, and three more new cards, right? <laughs> right. It's probably still going to result in mentor, but, but it might not, right? If I draw some other stuff and I feel like I can protect my mentor next turn and get through their force, even I'm probably going to pass. So it's tricky. It becomes increasingly context sensitive. Right. I tend to think that just throwing out the mentor there, that's kind of where I lean. I'm not super protective of mentor. It, I realize we're in a different era mm-hmm. than when mentor was unrestricted, but I, I, as a general matter, as a control player, I value the ancestral more than the mentor mm-hmm. in my ability. So I would tend towards just Lotus mentor. If it resolves, fantastic. Then I'll then I'll probe, and then depending on what I see, I'll ancestral. Yeah, that's probably actually how I would play it. Well, it's reasonable, and you you're not going to get 
punished badly for that approach, right? It speaks to your approach to these blue mirrors, and I respect that. I would point out that mo- a lot of modern blue decks, especially the, the, the preordained, the Xerox decks, have very little resiliency to a Monastery Mentor, just full stop, right? So many decks, like your own deck, has, you know, two, maybe three ways to even interact with it, especially in game one. Right. And sometimes those are even not good ways. Sometimes they're like Chase the Mind right. Sculptor. Exactly. Yeah. And so I'm just of the opinion that if you look at their hand and you see that the coast is clear, so to speak, except Force of Will, then I'm going to I'm gonna let them force my uh, Ancestral and let this Mentor win me this game. Now, you might be right. The, the, you have to be reasonable, though. If their hand is like, if they have access to turn one time walk and double preordain and Dak Faden or whatever, they can fix enough to get to their plow or their swords for your turn one mentor, even if they're not currently holding it. So you do still have to respect the fact that even with light answers and none showing, they could easily find it. It's vintage and no card can, can't be answered, right? <laughs> so your point about valuing the card advantage is a, a reasonable baseline. I really do think it is a reasonable heuristic to start with and say, hey, Ancestral Recall is going to win me a lot of games if it resolves perhaps more games than this monastery mentor that's a reasonable metric yep i mean it's there's no right answer here (laughs) these are just insane scenarios that we've been presenting Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so i just wanted to share that one because it really is kind of a puzzle and it's not a puzzle that has an answer it's a great it's a great that makes it a great one yeah agreed yeah any of those lines is going to probably win you the game too well that's the best part about it and this hand is kind of an embarrassment of riches but it's not. It's not a world beater, right? If they have, right. uh, if they just have a single misstep for your ancestral, and then they can preordain into a an interactive spell for your, for your mentor, they might get to turn three, and you have two monks. But that's still, a, a, you know, a, the sort of game that anyone can win, right? Yeah. Well, Kevin, th- I have one last thing I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Unless there's anything about that scenario, uh, there's w- this is not so much a scenario <laughs> as it is uh, something I wanted to relay. And there is an, it's kind of an interesting story more than a scenario. Um, so Rich Shea played in the Vintage Challenge this past weekend and made it to the finals where he lost to Eko Baronin. Mm-hmm. But in the top four, he played a really interesting match that I wanted to just mention to you and, and our audience against a survival player. And this in this game one, I just I want to relay this, so just bear with me. And I, there's one choice decision point that, <laughs> that will, uh, you'll be able to weigh in on this, okay? Right. So the survival player is on the play. And Rich's opening hand, by the way, is Walking Ballista, Ravager, Ravager, Foundry Inspector, Revoker, so five creatures, Pearl, and Workshop are his mana. Okay. So two mana sources and five creatures. Okay. And the opponent's on the play, and he, he begins the turn by going Bazaar Baghdad, and he discards a uh, another Bazaar, a um, a, uh, a Deathrite Shaman, and I think, and uh, oh, and he, dis- and he discards a Vengevine. Vengevine, Deathrite, Bazaar, okay. Yeah. He cast double hollow one. Okay. (laughs) Which brings back the Vengevine, and he attacks for four. Okay. Okay. Now, Rich goes, oh, oh, and, sorry, it's not over. (laughs) The survival player has Black Lotus. What? And casts Null Rod. (laughs) Wow. Amazing. Rich Shea, Rich Shea, ladies and gentlemen, wins this game. Awesome. Unbelievable. He wins this game. It, it is unbelievable. And it's it's an example of how unbelievable the, the format is right now. <laughs> so he draws Trinisphere and he and he goes workshop and he plays uh, Foundry Inspector, uh-huh. which is, I think, the only legitimate play there, right? Yeah. Because you need yeah. to be able to get everything down. So Rich is at 16 life. 
<laughs> and the it's bizarre the, the survival player attacks with the two hollow ones and the venge vine uh-huh. and rich took, uh, the, rich took it all right took it all yeah. goes down to four yep. um draws workshop number two nice nice <laughs> i can see where this is going yes so he plays he plays taps the first one and plays R- ravager that uh uses the second mana because they're all cost reduc- reduced uh-huh. because of the f- inspector plays the second one taps the um taps the uh you should still have a mana floating here he does mm-hmm. but he he plays um he plays Re- revoker i think he names bizarre baghdad no. does that actually it, no you don't name no. you can't it's you, so he, he names survival, survival. Yeah. he names survival yeah exactly right and then he um uses the last mana the taps the second shop and plays ballista for four nice Sorry, for four mana. Yeah, a two, a two, two, two ballista. Yeah. Right, right. So then, um, I'm sorry, that's not what happens. He doesn't play the ballista. He plays Trinisphere instead. Really? Yeah. He keeps up he the plays ballista. Trinis- well, because the survival player only has uh, Bizarre in play. Mm-hmm. So it prevents the, them from ever getting, like, being able to... Yeah. Uh, they might never play a spell. Or anything. Yeah, I get you. Exactly. But the trick here is that you have to block with all three of your... You have to block exactly. all three... Um, attackers now in perpetuity and so he's right. going to block with two ravagers and what the revoker probably yes and put, so and put all blocked- the ravager counters on to uh, uh, make an enormous inspector that is almost exactly what happened instead they all went on to the revoker so the revoker becomes 4-2 and the vengevine goes down and the two hollow ones survive but then guess what I don't hold on, Miracle- hold on. I don't why would you make a 4-2 you would at least sack the inspector to one of the ravagers to make a five four. You can't sack anything because the null rods in play. The null rods in play. That's the thing. But still, I don't get why you would put two counters on a ravager instead of two so, counters on an inspector. I mean, well, a, a, what a he did was he. What he did was he threw the. Um, I guess this depends on on how. So here's the thing. Uh-huh. If you put, you can. I guess what you can do is you can. He wanted to be able to kill the hollow one, one of the hollow ones. So he put. Let me see exactly what he did here. Because he lined it up, and I think he might have reset it. But when I'm looking at this lineup, it looks like Rich blocked one of the hollow ones with Revoker. Oh, I see. Blocked another hollow... Oh, no, he... I see what he did. He moved it back off. Okay. So he left the Revoker back. He traded the he Inspector put, for the Vengevine. That's what he did. That's exactly yeah, right. That's why you end yes. up with a Revoker. That's why. Okay. Yes. I get you. Yes. So he put a Revoker... He put a Ravager... One, one <laughs> yeah. of each of the Ravagers in front of the hollow ones. The Inspector traded with the Vengevine. Yeah. And the, and the uh, Revoker survived. Yep. Which I guess is better because it has high, more power than the Ravagers. So oh, yeah. you'd rather have you'd have you have a four three Revoker rather than a three three Ravager. Yep. Um, but sorry, yeah, that's that's what it would have been, right? It would have been a two two. It would have been a two two Ravager surviving. Yeah. So yeah, that's what happened. So here's what happened. So so the uh, survival player plays a wooded uh, a, a Heath. Yeah. And and Rich now can play. Uh, he drew an ancient tomb. <laughs> and he's got a a four oh, that was perfect because he can make a four right. four ballista exactly which is exactly the right number yeah so now he's a two light <laughs> <laughs> wow but he's got a he's got two four power creatures now that trade with both the hollow ones exactly yeah. right wow so it's a standoff the trinosphere is actually been brilliant because it's been hold it holds the survival player from doing anything. and they're a land light deck in general yeah yeah and they only have one land yeah. Right. Yeah, because if he, well, if Rich hadn't played the Trinisphere, the survival player could have just gone like land death right or land, you know, uh, noble hierarch or whatever, and that would have been a, a serious threat. 
So the survival player um, bazaars, discards a mox, a fetch land that looks like, and squee. Oh, that's ugly. Yeah, so he'll get the squee going. Um, I think the key decision that comes up in this game, and I'm not being able to move through it quickly enough to get to it, but the key decision, so the survival player played another another fetch land, um, and then he got another land in play, and he cast Deathrite Shop. Hmm. But Kevin, but um, but Kevin, Rich drew Worm Coil Engine. Oh, wow. Yes. And then the other player, the survival player found Trigon Predator, but it was too late. Because the worm coil, because the worm coil must, the worm coil must have come down before the death right, though, because Rich it, was at two. The death right would have been lethal. It did. Okay. It did. Okay. It came down before, right? Gotcha. Yeah, the worm coil so is that, a big game. Holy moly! So how funny is it? <laughs> win, winning the game after your opponent has turn one ho- double hollow one vengevine and null rod <laughs> on the draw and null rod and null rod. What is null rod? Wow. It, your deck is good if you could beat that. I was feeling good about beating double hollow one chalice at champs, but double hollow one vengevine null rod. Whew. <laughs> that, that is a spicy meatball. Well, these have been some fun scenarios, Kevin. Yeah. We will do more in the future. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed them as much as we have presented them. <laughs> Absolutely. And so to remind everyone, our next episode will be our year in review. We're going to wait until all the challenges are in for 2018 so we can cover the full scope of the year. But if you'd like to get a little bit of a preview of that content, go read Steve's recent article about Medicaid diversity, because that's going to be one of the threads of our discussion. And as we've said, next episode is going to be our moxies. So let us know what you think we're going to (laughs) do. We want to know what you think. The best set of the year, the best card of the year, the best deck of the year, and the best story of 2018. And that last one is intentionally open-ended, right? Right. So thank you for listening to episode 85 of So Many Insane Plays. You can tweet us at Many Insane Plays or email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please sure, be sure to rate us on iTunes. And that's just so that other Magic players can find this show as a good show. As always, and until next time, we wish you Many Insane Plays. Ha, 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 ha.